This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wal aqibatu lil muttaqeen. Wala udwana illa ala al-zalimeen. Wa ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah wahdahu la sharika lahu waliyu salikeen. وأشهد أن نبينا محمدًا عبده ورسوله النبي المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد so today is the 15th of Ramadan of the year 1441 of the Hijra and so this is the 15th session of the reading and the commentary of Tafsir al-Jalalain by the two famous authors and imams Jalaluddin al-Mahalli and Jalaluddin and yesterday we had uh, begun with the tafsir of Surah Al-Kahf uh, and we were towards the end of that surah at verse number 60. And I asked a question yesterday concerning the verse that we mentioned in Surah Al-Isra. And that is that Allah Azza wa describes the disbelievers on Yawm Al-Qiyam and He says concerning them وَنَحْشُرُهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ عَلَى وُجُوهِهِمْ عُمْيًا وَبُكْمًا وَصُمًّا we will resurrect them upon their faces on that day and they will be blind, deaf and dumb. And elsewhere in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he refers to the disbelievers, he seems to show and say that they can see and they can speak and they can hear. From those verses, the verse that we mentioned yesterday in Surah Al-Kahf, verse 53, النار, The disbelievers will see the fire. And from them is a statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, Rabbana absarna wa sami'na farji'na na'mal saliha. O our Lord, we have seen and heard, so let us return so that we may do good deeds. And from them is what they will say to Malik, the gatekeeper of hell, Wanadaw ya Maliku, liyaqdi alina rabbuk. They will call out to Malik and say that your Lord destroy us. So we have this verse in Surah Al-Isra, the one that we covered yesterday, that says that they are deaf, dumb, and blind. Yet other verses seem to show that they will speak and hear, and that they can see. So how do we reconcile and understand those verses? There are three approaches amongst the scholars of tafsir. The first of them is what is mentioned by Abu Hayyan, Al-Andalus, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his tafsir. And that is that they will be resurrected at the beginning of the Day of Judgment in that manner, deaf, dumb, and blind. But then after that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow them to see and to speak and to hear. And so the reconciliation between those verses is that at the beginning they are deaf, dumb and blind. But then Allah will allow them to use those senses. That is one approach. The second approach is to do the opposite. The opposite way. And that is that they will at the beginning of the day of judgment be able to see and speak and hear. But then it is later on that Allah Azza wa will cause them to be deaf, dumb and blind. And that is when they will call out to Malik and they will say to him, let your Lord destroy us. Allah will say in response or he will be said to them in response, You will remain therein and not speak again. And that is when Allah will decree upon them deafness and blindness and that they are dumb. So the first and the second approach are opposite to one another. One says that they start off that way and then they can use their senses. The other says they start off seeing, speaking, hearing, and then they become deaf, dumb, and blind. The third approach that is mentioned by Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala, and it's one that Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah also supported, and similar 
um, similar meanings to it are reported from some of the early scholars of Islam is that the meaning of them not being able to speak or hear or see on the day of judgment is the same way that Allah describes the hypocrites in this life as being deaf, dumb and blind and that is that they are not actually deaf, dumb and blind the hypocrites in this life but they are deaf, dumb and blind to guidance or to anything that is beneficial to them so the hypocrites in the dunya are not deaf, dumb and blind they can see, they can hear, they can speak but when Allah says about them they are deaf, dumb and blind so they don't understand it means that they don't benefit from their sight they don't benefit from their hearing they don't benefit from their speech and likewise for the people of the fire or the people of or the disbelievers on the day of judgment the people of the fire it means that they cannot see meaning that they will only see that which increases them in punishment and torment so they will see but they won't see anything beneficial all they will see is azab and punishment and torment nor will they hear anything except punishment and torment and nor will they be able to speak in, except in a manner that causes them further torment and humiliation and that is a very good tafsir of the Quran and it reconciles between those different verses and that's because Allah will allow them to continue to see and hear and speak because that will increase their humiliation and increases their punishment because if they are blind and they cannot see the fire then that limits their punishment in some way and if they are deaf and they can't hear the fire and it's and it's, and it's scorching wind and everything that is uh, a torment within it, that also limits their fire. And if they're unable to comprehend the fire, then that also limits their punishment. And so those scholars said, it doesn't mean the actual seeing and hearing and speaking, but rather it is that they will only see and speak and hear in a manner which is harmful and detrimental to them. And that is why Allah in the Quran when He speaks about the issue of seeing, speaking and hearing, Allah doesn't uh, belittle those who are blind they're born blind or in their lifetimes they become blind or they're deaf because of some illness those aren't the people that Allah is speaking about and you know from a number of the companions of the Prophet that they were blind they couldn't see and so that's not the, the, the reason here because you have many who are blind but there are people who are extremely insightful in terms of their worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but what it means is that they don't benefit from those senses and Allah knows best so inshallah ta'ala we're going to continue with the tafsir of Surah Al-Kahf on this blessed day of Friday which is the day on which this surah should be recited uh, in terms of the virtues that it contains and we're going to continue with verse number 16. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een Allahumma ghfir li shaykhina wa li walidina wa li jami'in muslimin أما بعد قال المصنف رحمه الله تعالى في تفسير قوله تعالى أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وإذ قال موسى لفتاه لا أبرح حتى أبلغ مجمع البحرين أو أمضي حقوبا Remember when Musa ibn Imran said to his servant Yusha' ibn Nun who followed him and served him and burned from him I will not give up but will continue to travel until I reach the meeting place of the two seas this is said by some to be where the Adriatic meets the Black Sea, which is towards the east, and by others where the Mediterranean meets the Atlantic in the west, even if I must press on for many years, if it takes a very long time to reach it. In this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after mentioning the two previous stories that we covered yesterday, the story of the people of the cave, and the story of the man with the two gardens, Allah moves on to the story of Musa alayhi salatu wasalam. 
And this is just one aspect of his life that Allah Azza wa released to us from the many aspects of his life that we have alayhi salam. And that is because as we've said before, that the story of Musa and the many encounters that he, that he faces in his life contain many lessons. Lessons for the Prophet وسلم, and lessons by extension for us as Muslims as well. And this is one such example. And that is the determination of the Prophet Musa السلام, to seek knowledge. To the extent that amongst the scholars they say that he is the first person that we know of that traveled for the sake of knowledge. Musa السلام, He is the first person who traveled for the sake of knowledge. And they say that Ibrahim السلام, was the first person to make hijrah for the sake of Allah. And that will come in a later surah when Allah says, وَقَالَ إِنِّي مُهَاجِرٌ إِلَىٰ رَبِّي There is a hadith in Sahih Bukhari concerning the story of Musa السلام, that the Prophet وسلم, gave us the background to it and the author will mention it in a few verses. But I will just mention the portion of the hadith that is relevant to this particular part of the story and that is that Musa السلام, stood up amongst his people one day as a khatib speaking to them, giving them a sermon. And it was an extremely eloquent and moving sermon. And after he had finished, one of the Bani Israel, one of his people, stood up and he said, O Prophet of Allah, who is the most knowledgeable of people? And Musa والسلام, replied, I am. And that was based upon his knowledge. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala corrected him and he said, rather there is someone who is more knowledgeable than you. And if you should seek to meet him, then go to the Majma'ul Bahrain, the junction of the two seas, the place where the two seas meet. And that is because Musa والسلام, didn't ascribe that knowledge to Allah. When he was asked who is the most knowledgeable of people, he should have said, Allah knows best, but I think that I am. As far as I know, I am. I am to the best of my knowledge. And he should have ascribed that knowledge to Allah. But because he didn't do so, Allah corrects him. And you can see from this surah, that there are a number of etiquettes that we learn already and that are still coming in this surah. Yesterday we mentioned the etiquette of saying insha'Allah when you want to do something in the future, the etiquette of saying masha'Allah when you see something that amazes you. And this is another etiquette that when you don't know or you're unsure or you think that there may be a better explanation, then you attribute that knowledge to Allah and you say Allahu A'lam, Allah knows best. And that is from the humility of a person's knowledge and it is from the etiquette of the way that we speak about the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This verse shows them the determination of Musa alayhi salam, whose name the author says is Musa ibn Imran. And Imran here is not the same Imran that we covered in Surah Ali Imran, who's the father of Maryam alayhi salam, inna Allah astafa Adama wa Nuhan wa ala Ibrahim wa ala Imran, which is a mistake that some of the scholars of tafsir made, that they said that Musa and Maryam had the same father. And that's because, as we will mention when we come to Surah Maryam, when they speak to her, they say to her, Ya Ukhta Harun, or sister of Harun. And so they have, there is an issue of some difference of opinion amongst the scholars of Tafsir. But the majority of them are of the opinion that it is a different Imran that is the father of Musa, alayhi salam. And there is a big gap also in terms of the time difference and the generation span between these two prophets, Musa, and Isa alayhi salatu wassalam. He said to his servant, and the servant is known as and named as Yusha ibn Nun. And we mentioned this already in Surah Al-Araf and in Surah Baqarah and elsewhere in the Quran. And that is the servant of Musa alayhi salam, who then later on becomes a prophet of Allah after the death of Musa and Harun alayhi salam. 
this verse shows his determination, Musa's determination that he will travel for as long as it takes until he reaches this place in order to seek knowledge. And as we mentioned before, that is one of the greatest etiquettes of seeking knowledge, that you're willing to travel for it. And what we are very fortunate in our time to see where knowledge comes to us in our houses and to our cities and people come to travel to us and it's very easy to consume knowledge, that is from the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon us. And the asr or the, the original way of seeking knowledge was that people would go to knowledge. They would travel towards knowledge. And there's a very nice story that was mentioned about, um, if memory serves me correctly, about Imam Malik, rahimahullah ta'ala, that one of the khulafa came to see him. And he said to him that I want to read to you the muwatta. And Imam Malik said to him that I don't read the muwatta to anyone, people read it to me. My students come and they read the muwatta to me and I correct them. I don't read the muwatta to people. So he said, okay. So then they, he decided that he would come to see, he said, I will read it to you. Let us read. He said, oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, leader of the Muslims, the way of the people of knowledge has always been that the student comes to the teacher, not that the teacher comes to the student. So if you wish, you can accompany me to my home. And that's where you can study, or to the masjid. So he agreed. So the Khalifa walked to the Imam Malik until they reach his home, or they reach the masjid, and there are other students there. So then he said to the Khalifa, my student, this one, he will read the Mawatta to you if you wish, it, wish to listen to it, and I will sit with you as we listen to it. So he said, okay. So the Khalifa went and he sat on the chair. And the, there was only one chair. So Imam Malik said to Amir al-Mu'minin, the etiquette of the people of knowledge is that the student sits on the floor. Student sits on the floor and it is the teacher that sits on the chair. And that is a principle in the sunnah that also we have forgotten. In our times and many lectures and circles of knowledge and whether it be conferences or whether it be a lecture and, and it's very common now for people just to try to find chairs and sit on them unless they have a valid excuse to doing, for doing so. It's not from the etiquette of knowledge nor from the sunnah of the Prophet that students sit on the chair. Rather it was the Prophet that would have a stool and he would sit on it and all the companions would sit on the floor. And that's what Imam Malik said to the Khalifa. It is not from the etiquette that you should sit on the chair for rather the teacher sits there. So the Khalifa got up and he sat on the floor, showing his humbleness and his eagerness to learn. And the student of Imam Malik sits on the chair and he starts to teach him the muwatta. The point being here is that this story is full of many of those uh, etiquettes of knowledge that unfortunately we don't have time to go into in a great detail, but it is a portion of this surah that is worthy of being studied and understood in terms of not only the importance and the virtue of knowledge, but also the many etiquettes that it contains of seeking that knowledge. But when they reached their meeting place, the place where the two seas come together, they forgot their fish. Yusha' left behind his bundle during the journey and Musa forgot to remind him about it, which quickly borrowed its way into the sea. Allah made the fish travel back to the sea along something like a chute, which was a kind of long trench with only one entrance. And this will come later on when the author ta'ala mentions the narration from Sahih al-Bukhari. And the sign of Musa was that when something happens to the fish, that is the place where you will meet this man who is more knowledgeable than you in some aspects. Yeah. 
when they had gone a distance further on beyond that place and travelled until the time of the main meal on the second day, he, meaning Musa, said to his servant, Bring us our morning meal. Truly this journey of ours has made us tired. He became tired after passing the place. He said, Do you see what has happened? When we went to find shelter at the rocks, I forgot the fish. No one made me forget to remember it except Shaytan. It, meaning the fish, found its way into the sea in an amazing way. Musa and his servant were astonished by what happened. So Musa chooses a place to rest. And he says to his servant, you stay awake, I'm going to rest. And as Musa is resting, the fish leaves the sack that they were carrying in and it travels into the sea, falls into the sea and makes its way. And that was the sign that Musa was waiting for. But Yusha, the servant, forgets to mention it to him when Musa wakes up. So they continue on their path until Musa after a while says to his servant that I'm hungry, let's eat. And then that is when Yusha remembers actually what happened, that fish left. So Musa says that's what we were waiting for, let us go back to that same place. And there are many etiquettes that we can take from here, from the benefits and the virtues of traveling with others for the sake of knowledge and studying with others and having good and righteous company. And from those etiquettes is how shaitan often comes to try to stop us from seeking knowledge. And shaitan makes us forget and shaitan brings obstacles in our path and shaitan makes excuses for us as to why we're busy or why it's not important or why we'll catch up another time and that is why people will often spend months if not years trying to learn something and they will never do so. Like many of us try to do the tafsir of the Qur'an perhaps many times before, never able to do so, read a book, can't do it, whatever it may be, memorize some Qur'an because shaitan always comes and puts obstacles in the way. And that is the trap of shaitan. Because through knowledge, you come closer to Allah. It is one of the greatest means of increasing your worship and your understanding of your religion. So shaitan blocks that path and he creates obstacles in our way. He, meaning Musa, said, that is the very thing that we were looking for. Losing the fish was a sign of the existence of what they had been seeking. So, following their footsteps, they retraced their route to the rock. They found a slave of ours, Al-Khidr, whom we had granted mercy from us, said to be prophethood in one view and sainthood, meaning wilaya, in another view, which is that of the majority of scholars. And whom we had also given knowledge of unseen matters direct from us. Al-Bukhari related the hadith. Musa was speaking among the tribe of Israel when he was asked, Who is the person who has the most knowledge? He answered, I am. Allah rebuked him because he did not ascribe knowledge to him. He revealed to him, There is a slave of mine at the meeting of the two seas who knows more than you. Musa said, O Lord, how can I meet him? He said, Take a fish and put it in a basket. When you lose the fish, he will be there. So he took a fish and put it in a basket and then went with his servant, Yusha ibn Noon, until they came to a rock and laid down their heads and went to sleep. The fish moved in the basket and jumped out and dived into the sea and found its way into the sea in an amazing way. Allah kept the water from flowing over the fish and it became like an arch. When they woke up, his companion forgot to inform him about the fish. They continued to walk for the rest of the day and night until in the morning Musa said to his boy, bring us our morning meal, to his words, and found its way into the sea in an amazing way. Its making its way into the sea was a miraculous event. Allah means the fish making a tunnel astonished Musa and his servant.
in verse 65, Allah Azza wa Jal says then when they came back and from the etiquette that you can see from this hadith in Al-Bukhari of seeking knowledge, is how often sometimes you have to retrace your steps. Sometimes you miss the knowledge that you wanted to seek, or you, some of your passes you buy, or you miss the opportunity to meet the teacher that you wanted to meet. And so from the etiquette of seeking knowledge is that sometimes you have to return, sometimes you have to backtrack, sometimes what you miss you have to make up. Uh, he comes back and he meets this man. And this man is Khadr. Khadr alayhi salatu wassalam. Pronounced as Khidr and Khadr. With the Fatha and with the Kasra. And the word Khadr or Khidr means green. And in the authentic hadith of Rasulullah also in Al-Bukhari mentioned the reason why he was given that name is once he sat on a patch of barren land and it turned green beneath him. And so he became known as green, as Khadr or Khidr. The author Ta'ala, says there are two views amongst the scholars of Islam. One is that he was a prophet and the other which he says is the majority view is that he was a wali or a righteous man, a righteous servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as we will mention towards the end of the passage or the story, the strong of those two opinions and the one that the muhaqiqeen are upon is that Khadr was a prophet of Allah alayhi salam. That he was a prophet of Allah because of what he will do and because of the knowledge that Allah gave to him. And we will mention this inshallah ta'ala towards the end of this story. This individual Khadr is often used by people who claim that he is a wali to show that a wali can often be greater than a prophet or can have certain aspects of knowledge and abilities that a prophet cannot have. And that is a problematic issue, not only because we know that the prophets are of the greatest of Allah's creation, but also because it then opens that door of people saying and that worship of sainthood of we go to those people because they have powers and they have abilities and they can do for us certain things. And the concept of wilaya is one that is established in the Quran that a wali is someone who is close to Allah, that Allah gives them their divine care and protection. And the awliya of Allah are the believers in general. And then from amongst them there are those that Allah specifies with further favor and further blessings depending on their level of iman and their level of taqwa. And so this is an important concept to remember. Khadr even on the aspect of him being a prophet of Allah, is not considered to be a better prophet in terms of virtue and station of Musa despite him being given certain aspects of knowledge that Musa doesn't have. Doesn't mean that he is a better prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but Allah can give certain aspects of knowledge to some people that he chooses not to give to other people. And that is the bounty of Allah that he gives to whomsoever he wills. And from the narrations in Al-Bukhari that is mentioned in this regard, that when Musa and Khadr met with one another, uh, Musa says to him, are you Khadr? And he says, yes. And he says, who are you? He says, I am Musa. He says to him, are you the Musa of Bani Israel? And he says, yes. Meaning that Musa was known beyond his people. His, if you like, reputation preceded him. And also from what is mentioned in the narration is that when they first met, they saw a bird come and drink from the ocean. And then Khadr said to Musa, O Musa, my knowledge and your knowledge in comparison to the knowledge of Allah is like the amount of water that that bird took from the ocean. That's all that we have, a drop in the ocean of the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. قال لهم موسى هل أتبعك على أن تعلمني مما علمت مشدا موسى said to him may, may I follow you on condition that you teach me some of the right guidance you have been taught read as Rashad and Rushd 
That's a shi rashada and rashd. Rashda with the sukun. That is because it is desirable to seek more knowledge. He said, you will not be able to bear with me. And that is from the greatest uh, etiquettes of seeking knowledge. To have patience. You will not be able to bear with me, meaning you will not be able to have patience with me. Because seeking knowledge and taking knowledge a step at a time and building from a foundation, a level up after another, after another, is something which takes many years of hard work and study and reading and revising and so on. And so this is what he is saying. You will not be able to be patient, patient with me. And some of the scholars of Tafsir say, because he knew the character of Musa alayhi salam, that's why he said to him, you the Musa bani Israel, because his story is well known and he's known who he is and his personality is known. And so he says to him, I don't think you have the patience with me. How indeed could you bear with patience something you have not encompassed in your knowledge? The hadith says about this ayah, quoting Al-Khidr, O Musa, I have knowledge from Allah which he has taught me and you do not know. And you have knowledge from Allah which he has taught you and I do not know. قَالَ سَتَجِدُنِي إِن شَاءَ اللَّهُ صَابِرًا وَلَا أَعْصِي لَكَ أَمْرًا Musa said, you will find me patient if Allah wills, and I will not disobey you in any matter you command me to do. He limited his statement by the expression, if Allah wills, because he did not rely on his own resolve. This is the custom of the prophets and awliya. They do not put any reliance in themselves, even for the blink of an eye. قَالَ فَإِنِ اتَّبَعْتَنِي فَلَا تَسْأَلْنِي عَنْ شَيْءٍ حَتَّى أُحْدِثَ لَكَ مِنْهُ ذِكْرًا He said, then if you follow me, do not question me, read as, تَسْأَلْنِي and تَسْأَلَنِّي about anything which you do not know by your knowledge. Be patient until I must myself make mention of the reason for it to you. Musa accepted his, the condition to observe the proper behavior of his student towards his teacher. In verse 66, I forgot to mention, as we have uh, alluded to before, that one of the benefits of the prophets, one of the things that they take from Allah is when they're corrected, they immediately abide by that correction. When they're told that they've done something wrong, they need to correct something, they immediately apply that. And the same is with Musa salam. The beginning of the story in the hadith of Al-Bukhari is that he ascribed knowledge to himself. I am the most knowledgeable of people. But then in verse 66, May I follow you on the condition that you teach me of the knowledge that you have been taught. So he doesn't ascribe knowledge to Khadir or to himself, but rather to Allah that he is the one who taught him. And that is from the beautiful etiquettes that the prophets always have, as we mentioned previously in the story of Ibrahim salam, and others, that when Allah corrects them, they abide by that. In verse 70, from the etiquettes of seeking knowledge, is that the teacher is allowed to place conditions upon the student. And those conditions, so long as they are reasonable and they don't go against the sharia, it is perfectly reasonable for them to do so. That condition may be, you can study with me, but only if you come after Fajr. You can study with me, but only if you memorize such and such text. You can study with me, for example, but you have to do a three-hour session sitting in one place. Whatever it may be, those conditions are perfectly reasonable. And this shows that it is something which the scholars always did with their students for various reasons. They continued walking along the shore until they boarded a boat, which passed by them and he, meaning Al-Khidr, scuppered it by ripping up a plank or two from the hull with an axe when they reached open water.
قال أخرقتها لتغنق أهلها then Musa said to him did you scoff at it so that you might drive people read as لتغرق أهلها and also لتغرق أهلها ليغرق ليغرق أهلها in which case the meaning becomes so that its people would be drowned this is truly a dreadful thing that you have done it is related that the water did not enter it he said did I not say that you would not be able to bear with me Musa said do not take me to task because I forgot to submit to you and not to object to what you do do not demand of me something, meaning a task which is too difficult. In other words, act towards me with pardon and leniency. And so Musa السلام, and Khadr السلام, they go on a number of journeys together. A number of incidents will take place. This is the first of them. That they embark upon a ship. And in the hadith it says that these people were known to Khadr. And he sought permission <coughs> from them. That they should embark upon their ship so that they can take them to a place. Meaning they are hitching a ride. And they accept it from their generosity, from their kindness, despite their being not very well off, not being people who are very wealthy. The owners of the ship said, you may come. So they were people that were known to Khadr salam. But then as they're in the middle of the ocean or in the middle of that sea, Khadr salam starts to scupper the ship. He pulls up the planks of the wood from the ship so that he can make defects in it. And when Musa salam sees this, he thinks, how... Is this a way to repay someone who's done good to us, offers us a ride, and you're destroying their property? So he speaks out. And so Musa salam says, how is it possible that you can do something like this? Khadr salam doesn't respond by justifying himself, but of reminding him of the condition that he placed on him. We have a condition, we have an agreement, me and you, that you don't ask me about anything until I tell you first. So then Musa salam apologizes and says that I forgot, I didn't remember. And the Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith al-Bukhari, وَكَانَتِ الْأُولَىٰ نِسْيَانًا مِنْ The first time was genuine forgetfulness from Musa ﷺ. So they went on, unfortunately, after leaving the ship until they met a youngster who had not yet reached puberty, playing with some other children. And he was the most beautiful of them, whom he killed. Al-Khidr killed him with a knife while he was prone, or strangled him with his hands, or hit his head or hit his head against a wall. Musa said, Have you killed a boy who has done no wrong? Read as Zakiya and Zakiya, who has not yet reached the age of responsibility and who has not killed anyone, without it being in retaliation for someone else. This is truly an appalling thing that you have done. Read as Nukran and Nukran. So the next incident is that as they're walking together, they come across a group of children playing. And Qadr goes to one of them and he kills him. And in the narration of the hadith, it says that he kills him by his hand. How with his hand? That could mean with an implement like a knife or a rock or that he used his bare hands. Allah knows best. And that's why you have, as the author seems to show here, Al-Mahali, rahimahullah, a number of opinions that you find in the books of Tafsir. The point is though that he killed him. Musa salam speaks out, this time not from forgetfulness, but because what he sees is a greater, or if you like, more graver action than what he saw from before. And that's why the wording changes. The first time, shayan imra, this is something which shouldn't be done. Shayan nukra, it's something which is appalling, something which is a dreadful thing. So it is an even more severe rebuke. Aqatalta nafsan zakiya. 
Did you kill a pure soul? Zakia and Zakia are the two readings as mentioned by the author. Zakia is someone who sins and seeks forgiveness, sins and seeks forgiveness. And Zakia means innocent. They've never sinned in their life, showing that this child was below the age of puberty, that the child was young in age. And so Musa speaks up. قال ألم أقول لك إنك لن تستطيع معي صبرا He said, did I not tell you that you would not be able to bear with me? And just as Musa salam's rebuke is stronger than Khadr's reminder and rebuke in return is stronger in verse 75 ألم أقول لك إنك Did I not tell you that you? So twice he repeats it because again it is stronger in his form of rebuke as well. قال إن سألتك عن شيء بعدها فلا تصاحبني. موسى said if I ask you about anything after this time then you should no longer keep me company meaning allow me to follow you no further. قد بلغت من لدني عذرا. I will have given you excuse enough read as لدني and لدني. فانطلقا حتى إذا أتيا أهل قرية استطعما أهلها فأبوا أن يضيفوهما So they went on until they reached the inhabitants of a town, Antioch. They asked them for food but they refused them hospitality. فوجدا فيها جدارا يريد أن ينقض فأقامه They found there a wall, a hundred cubits high, about to fall down. Its closeness to collapse could be seen by the fact that it was leaning and he built it up. الخض repaired it with his own hand. قال لو شئت لاتخذت عليه أجرا. موسى said to him, if you had wanted, you could have taken a wage for doing that. Read as لاتخذت 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 which is the normal reading and لاتخذت. Since they did not give them hospitality and they were in need of food. And this is the third now time or the third and final incident that we find. From Musa and Khadr السلام, and that is that they're passing by the inhabitants of a town. The author says that it is Antioch and he says that the wall was a hundred cubits high and so on. This isn't mentioned in any authentic narration. So this is something which you find in the books of Tafsir, but they are not from the hadith of the Prophet. But what is found is that they came across they came to this town and they sought hospitality, as people did in those days, and up until very recent times, that when you were a stranger in a land. There was no hotels, no motels, no restaurants, so you sought the hospitality of the people. And usually people were nice enough and generous enough to give hospitality, whether they, in, you know, in our times, let you sleep in the masjid, or whether it's they used to let you come into their home, or they had a, a communal place for guests that they could reside in, and the people of the town or the village take turns cooking for them and feeding them. Whatever it may be, they would offer a form of hospitality. And that is why the scholars are of the opinion that giving that type of hospitality is wajib. It is an obligation in Islam. Obviously, not now that we have hotels and things are much far easier. But before, that it was an obligation, as was the opinion of Imam Ahmad and others. The point is that they sought it and it was refused. So now that they're leaving, they come across a wall that's crumbling. So Khadr rebuilds it of his own accord. And the scholars differ amongst the scholars of Tafsir. Did he knock the wall down and rebuild it from new? Or did he just repair it? And both of them are possible, and Allah knows best. The point is that you repaired the wall. And so Musa says, surely they should pay you for this. Not only are these people inhospitable, but now you've done something good for them in return. The very least is that you can ask them for some money, some food, something that they should give you in return. 
He, meaning al khid said to Musa, this is the moment where you and I part company. But before we part, I will let you know the explanation of those things about which you were not able to restrain yourself. And so in verse 78, Khadr says, strike three. Gave me three chances, three times you refused. Now, this is the departing between me and you. And now I will explain to you what I did and how I did it. أَمَّا السَّفِينَةُ فَكَانَتْ لِمَسَاكِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ فِي الْبَحْرِ فَأَرَدْتُ أَنْ أَعِيبَهَا As for the boat, it belonged to some poor people. There were ten of them who worked on the sea, chartering it out for a living. فَأَرَدْتُ أَنْ أَعِيبَهَا وَكَانَ وَرَاءَهُمْ مَلِكٌ يَأْخُذُ كُلَّ سَفِينَةٍ غَصْبًا I wanted to damage it because an unbelieving king was coming behind them, commandeering every sand boat. In verse 29, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, so as for the first one, meaning the first uh, incident of the ship. In the first incident of the ship, Qadr says to Musa, the reason I did what I did was that these people are misakeen, they're poor people. And remember in Surah Al-Tawbah, when we spoke about the different segments, the eight groups, the recipients of zakah, we said, Allah says, masakeen." That the poor or the sadaqah, the zakah is for the fuqara, the poor and the masakin, the needy. And we said then that the scholars or many of them differentiate between the two. And that the faqir is worse off than the miskin. One of the evidences they use for that is this verse. Because Allah Azza wa calls them miskin, masakin. But they are people who own a ship. Showing that they have some possessions. Whereas the faqir is someone who owns nothing. So they have possessions but it's not enough for them. Doesn't bring them enough to sustain and maintain them. So they're working out there, and so he's saying behind them was a king. And Allah doesn't say that he was a uh, that he was a disbelieving king, but this is a commentary. And the scholars differ: was he a disbelieving king or just a tyrant king? Meaning that he was someone who was a fasik, an oppressor, a tyrant, someone who was evil. And he would come and he would take every single ship, every single ship, every boat and ship that he came across. So he says that what I wanted to do was to show that this one was damaged. And by showing that it's damaged, when he sees it, he leaves it and passes it by because it's of no use to him. And the few planks that I pulled out, these people can repair their ship very easily and they can continue to benefit from it. And therefore it's something that continues to bring in sustenance for them. And Allah here says that they, he takes every boat, kulla safina, every boat. But then Khadr is saying that he won't take this boat if I damage it. And that means, therefore, what it means that there is a hidden meaning there, a mahdhuf in the verse, meaning that he will commandeer every sound boat. And that is why Allah puts that stipulation in. And it is a qira'a shadha from one of the companions that he would read it in that way. He would take every good boat. And that's the meaning. وَأَمَّا الْغُلَامُ فَكَانَ أَبَوَاهُ مُؤْمِنَيْنِ فَخَشِيْنَا أَنْ يُرْهِقَهُمَا طُغْيَانًا وَكُفْرًا As for the boy, his parents were believers, and we feared that he would darken their days with excessive insolence and unbelief. As we know from the hadith related by Muslim, his nature was that of an unbeliever, and if he had lived, he might have imposed that on his parents, who, because of their love for him, might have followed him in unbelief. فَأَرَدْنَا أَنْ يُبَدِلَهُمَا رَبُّهُمَا خَيْرًا مِّنْهُ زَكَاةً وَأَقْرَبَ رُحْمًا We wanted their Lord to give them an exchange, read as يُبْدِلَ and يُبَدِّلَ A purer, more righteous and God-fearing child than him, one more compassionate, read as رُحْمًا and رُحُمًا 
meaning one more dutiful towards his parent. In exchange, Allah gave him a daughter who married a prophet and bore him a prophet by whom Allah guided a nation. So then Allah Azza goes on to the second incident, why Khadr killed the child. And he says that I, that I knew that this child, if he grew up, he would become a source of evil for his parents and he would lead them away to disbelief as well. And the beginning of the surah, Surah Al-Kahf speaks about the righteousness of the young in the story of the people of the cave. And here we have an example of the righteous or the evil of a young person. <clears throat> and how sometimes it is not the young who are influenced by the elderly, but rather the elderly because of their love and because of their dedication to their children, they may be led astray by their children, just as they can be guided sometimes by their children as well. And that is mentioned in this hadith, which is the narration in Sahih Muslim. And this is the hadith of Ubayy ibn Ka'b, radiyallahu anh, and this is the wording of Sahih Muslim. So therefore Allah Azza wa wanted to take that child away, and that child is under the age of puberty, and give the, these parents, because of their righteousness, a child that would be righteous and merciful to them, and guide them and help them upon the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this statement at the end mentioned by Al-Mahalli, rahimahullah, at verse 81, in exchange, Allah gave them a daughter who married a prophet and born him a prophet by whom Allah guided a nation. That is from the Israelite traditions. And Imam Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, when he mentions this tradition, he says, this seems very far-fetched. Seems very far-fetched. Allah knows best. Yeah. As for the wool, it belonged to two young orphans in the town, and there was a buried treasure of gold or silver underneath it, belonging to them. Their father was one of the righteous, and they were protected in their persons and property by the righteousness of their father. And your Lord wanted them to come of age and then to unearth their treasure. As a mercy from your Lord. وَمَا فَعَلْتُهُ عَنْ أَمْرِي I did not do it, meaning scuppering the boat, killing the child and repairing the wall of my own volition and choice. It was by command and divine inspiration from Allah. ذَلِكَ تَأْوِيلُ مَا لَمْ عَلَيْهِ That is the explanation of the things about which you are not able to restrain yourself. So Allah Azza wa then says that Khadr Islam gives explanation for the third and final incident and that is that that wall underneath it was treasure that was for some orphan boys, and because those people of the town are inhospitable, which is a sign of their evilness, that if they had discovered the wealth, they would have taken it for themselves and not shed it and given it to those orphan boys to whom that property belongs. So Allah Azza wanted the world repaired so that those children could grow up and become adults themselves who could fight for their own rights, and then they would discover that treasure that they would benefit from. And he says, وَمَا فَعَلْتُهُ عَنْ أَمْرِي I do not do this from my own accord. Meaning, therefore, that it is divine revelation, as mentioned by the author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And that is why the position of the scholars is that he is a prophet of Allah, Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Because even through inspiration, if we say that he was a righteous man, he just received inspiration, Allah does not inspire the righteous people in that way, where they take people's wealth and their lives and their property. He may inspire them the way that he inspired Umar radiallahu anhu to have certain thoughts and, and certain convictions that he mentions, but it doesn't go to the extent of transgressing upon other people's property and their lives and so on and so forth. There is a very beautiful point that Al-Mahali rahimahullah mentions in the Arabic of the Tafsir al-Jalalain that isn't translated into the English, and that is the difference in the explanation of Khadr alayhi salam when he's saying what he did, why he did. In verse 79 he says, فَأَرَدْتُ أَنَعِيبَهَا 
I was the one who wanted to scupper the ship. Whereas in verse 81, فَأَرَدْنَا We are the ones who wanted to. And then in verse 82, فَأَرَادَ رَبُّكَ Your Lord wanted to. And he says, and this is a very beautiful point of eloquence which shows you the depth of the Qur'an and its beauty, that the first time because the scuppering of the ship isn't positive, there's no positivity in it. It is just an action which is on the, on the apparent face of it is all evil. So therefore he says, that it is I that did it. Ascribes it to himself, Khadr Whereas on the second occasion, because Allah mentions the point that there is disbelief, and then the point that there is mercy, He ascribes it to both of them. Me and my Lord. فَأَرَضْنَا We wanted to. Because there is a point that is a negative, that He ascribes to Himself in the we, and another point that is positive, that He ascribes to Allah Azza wa and that is the mercy that would come in the following child. And in the third one, it is all positive, so he ascribes it all to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that is from the etiquettes that we find within the Qur'an. <laughs> they, meaning the Jews, will ask you about Dhul Qarnayn, Iskandar or Alexander. He was not a prophet. Say, I will tell you something about him. And this now comes on to the final story of Surah Al-Kahf, and that is the story of Dhul Qarnayn. Dhul Qarnayn and Dhul Qarnayn as the author Rahimullah Ta'ala uh, seems to, to say here his name was Alexander or Iskandar and if, if he means by that because the scholars of Tafsir differ greatly as to who this individual was and they try to take the title of Dhul Qarnayn and fit it to certain personalities from those personalities is Alexander the Great the Greek Alexander the Great, which Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, and many of the scholars said is very far-fetched because Alexander the Great was a polytheist and he worshipped the Greek gods and so on. And so that's not the person that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to. Others from amongst them said it is a different Alexander. His name was Alexander, but not this Alexander the Great that we know of. A different Alexander who was a king. And others say he was a Persian ruler. And there are many opinions amongst the scholars of Tafsir the end result of them all is that we do not know because Allah does not define him by a person. And the most that you can say is that perhaps it's this one or that one, but again, that is a difficult thing to be certain of. Allah says they ask you concerning Dhul Qarnayn. Dhul Qarnayn means the possessor of two horns. And the scholars of Tafsir differ as to why he was called Dhul Qarnayn, the possessor of two horns. Some of them said because he had bumps on either side of his head that looked like horns. And so they called him Dhul Qarnayn. Another said that it refers to the horns of the world because he would conquer the east and the west. The two horns therefore refer to the east and the west of the world and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. As al-Mahalli rahimahullah says, say the position of the majority of the scholars of Islam is that Dhul Qarnayn was not a prophet of Allah but a righteous servant and a righteous king who worshipped Allah and obeyed his commands. And this is reported from Ali radiallahu and from many of the early scholars of the Salaf, the opinion that he was a righteous scholar, and there is the opinion among some of them that he was a prophet of Allah as well, and Allah knows best. We gave him power and authority on the earth, making it easy for him to travel about the world. And granted him a way to everything, meaning to obtain whatever he wanted. So he followed away towards the west. Until 
until he reached the setting of the sun, the place where it set, and found it setting in a muddy spring, a spring with hama in it, which is a kind of black mud, and found a people by it. It appeared to the eye that the sun set in the spring. He found some believers there. قُلْنَا يَا ذَا الْقَرْنَيْنِ إِمَّا أَن تُعَذِّبَ وَإِمَّا أَن تَتَّخِذَ فِيهِمْ حُسْنًا We said, through inspiration to him, ذُو الْقَرْنَيْنِ You can either punish them by killing them, or else you can treat them with gentleness by taking them captive. Allah Azza mentions that ذُو الْقَرْنَيْنِ goes and conquers the West. Until he comes to the very far part of the Western world, where the sun, when it looks like it is setting, looks like that it is setting into the ocean, into the ground. Which is what happens when you go to the extreme West. When the sun sets, it looks like it's setting into the ground. There he finds some people. And this is the test of Dhul Qarnayn that he passes. Allah inspired to him that he has two choices. He can punish or he can be gentle. And it is because of the justice that he has that Allah praises him in the Qur'an. That he is harsh with those people who deserve harshness and that he is gentle and kind with those people who deserve to be gentle. And you will find this if you look at the first speeches made by the Khulafa like Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhumah that they follow this principle that we find in the Qur'an. Those people who oppress, they will be extremely harsh and intolerant with them. As for those people who are weak and need help and are gentle and kind, then they will be treated in a similar manner. He said, as, as for those who do wrong by committing shirk, we will punish them by killing them. And then they will be returned to their Lord, and He will punish them with a dreadful punishment, read as Nukran or Nukran, which will be in the fire. As for him who believes and acts rightly, he will receive the best of rewards, meaning the garden, read as Jaza'ul Husna and Jaza'anil Husna, which makes it descriptive. And we will issue a command, making things easy for him. Then he followed away towards the east. Until he reached the rising of the sun, meaning the place where it rises, and found it rising on the people, the Zenj, who are a black race, to whom we had not given any shelter from it. They had no shelter from the sun in the form of either clothing or a roof because their land would not support structures. They had tunnels into which they disappeared when the sun rose and would reappear when the sun was high. In this uh, commentary of verse 90 that Al-Muhalli rahimahullah brings is not the commentary that all of the scholars of tafsir agree with. And these are, it seems, Israelite traditions or weak narrations. And Allah knows best. But when Allah says that they had no shelter from the sun, the, position, the other position amongst the scholars of tafsir, which is a stronger position, is that that means that they had no natural shelter from the sun. It's not a land where there were trees, not a land where there's mountains, not a land where they could use things to shade. As for them living in tunnels and underground and burrowing deep into caves, then that's something which the Qur'an doesn't necessarily say, and Allah knows best. Our knowledge encompasses all that happened to him, meaning the Qur'an, in terms of science, his army, and other matters. Then he followed a path. Until he arrived between the two mountains, read as Saddain and Suddain, a remote place in the land of the Turks. Iskandar blocked up the valley between them, as will be mentioned. 
وجد من دونهما قوما لا يكادون يفقهون قولا where he found a people scarcely able to understand speech read as يفقهون and يفقهون they could only understand what was said with difficulty in verse number 93 Allah Azza wa says he conquers the east he conquers the west and he continues to travel until he comes to this pass between the two mountains and there he finds another group of people and Mahalli rahimahullah ta'ala says it was the land of the Turks the Turks and this is what is mentioned in many of the books of Tafsir, At-Turk. And the meaning of Turks here is not the Turkish, not the Turks in Turkey. Because that is a country which comes much later on, didn't exist in that time. What is meant by the Turk in classical Arabic, in the narration of the Quran and the Sunnah, is the area of the Far East, Mongolia and that region. That region, China, Mongolia, that is the area that is being referred to. And that is a common mistake that is made, sometimes in translation and sometimes also in understanding. That when the word Turks is found, be it in the signs of the hour or be it in other hadith that will come, then people understand them to think that it means Turkey. Right? And everyone's hating on Turkey all of a sudden for no reason. It's not Turkey. Turks come later on. The Turkish were never called Turkey until after the fall of the Ottoman Empire in World War One. Before that, they're either part of the Muslim Empire, the Ottoman Empire, or the other Muslim Empires before it, or they're part of the Byzantine Roman Empire before that. The Turk that are being referred to in the Quran and the Sunnah are the Turk of the Far East. That is what is being referred to, that portion of uh, that region of the world where later on Genghis Khan would come from, the Mongolian invasion that would come and take over the world. That is the part of the region of the world that is being referred to, and Allah knows best. قالوا يا ذا القرنين إن يأجوج ومأجوج مفسدون في الأرض. They said ذو القرنين يأجوج ومأجوج read as يأجوج and ماجوج and as يأجوج and مأجوج names for two tribes which are not Arabic words and so are not declined are causing corruption in the land by looting and attacking us whenever they appear. فهل نجعل لك خرجا على أن تجعل بيننا وبينهم سدا كان we therefore pay tribute, read as kharaj and kharaj, to you in return for your constructing a barrier between us and them, so that they cannot reach us. He said, the power my Lord has granted me, read as makkanni and makkanani, in the form of wealth and in other ways, is better than that tribute which you offer me, meaning I have no need of it and I will build a barrier wall for you without payment. Just give me a strong helping hand by doing what I ask you to do and I will build a fortified solid barrier between you and them. Bring me ingots of iron. These are pieces of iron the size of stones with which to build. So he built it and put wood and charcoal between them. Then when he had made it level between the two high mountain sides read as صدفين, صدفين, and صدفين. bellows and fire were placed around it and he said blow they blew and when he had made it meaning the iron a red hot fire he said bring me molten brass to pour over it then molten brass was brought and poured over the hot iron and it poured into the gaps between the ingots and became one solid structure they, meaning Ya'juj and Ma'juj, were therefore unable to climb over it because of its height and smoothness. Nor were they able to make a bridge in it because it was hard and thick. 
he, meaning Dhul-Qarnayn, said, This ability to build a wall is a mercy, meaning blessing from my Lord, because it was a barrier against them coming out. فَإِذَا جَاءَ وَعْدُ رَبِّي جَعَلَهُ But when my Lord's promise comes about, to bring them out close to the resurrection, he will crush it flat. وَكَانَ وَعْدُ The promise of my Lord about their emergence and other things is surely true. وَتَرَكْنَا بَعْضَهُمْ يَمُونُ We will abandon them that day when they emerge to pound against each other in surging waves, mixing together because of their great number. And the trumpet will be blown for the resurrection and we will gather them all together, all creatures together in the same place on the day of rising. So Dhul Qarnayn comes to a group of people who tell him that we need your help. There is a, a, an evil tribe of people who cause and wreak corruption and havoc on the earth and they are called Ya'juj and Ma'juj. And Ya'juj and Ma'juj are a human tribe, a human nation. That Allah Azza wa Jal will make from the signs of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. They are from the major signs before the Day of Judgment. And so Dhul Qarnayn places this barrier upon them to keep them subdued and to keep their harm from harming others. And that is the sign of Yawm Al-Qiyamah that towards the end of time which will come after the Dajjal. When Isa alayhi salam has descended from the earth so that the Dajjal and the Mahdi and Isa alayhi salam are signs which will have taken place. And then Ya'juj and Ma'juj will appear in or towards the end of their lifetime. And Ya'juj and Ma'juj will come and they will cause corruption upon the earth as is mentioned in a number of hadith. And they will think that they have conquered the earth. And the Muslims and the believers will be few in number. And they will be hiding in the mountain of At-Tur as is mentioned in the hadith. And they will be waiting there and hiding there until Allah Azza wa Jal decrees that the Ajuj and Ma'juj will be destroyed. And so this is from the major signs of Yawm Al-Qiyam. And there are many ahadith that speak about them in the Sunnah. And from them is that when that wall of theirs is pushed, they will come out wave upon wave, as Allah Azza wa mentions. That day they will surge in waves because they will be a mass of number. And in one narration it is mentioned that when they come out, the first group of them will see a river and they will drink from it. And the next group will come, the next wave, and drink from it. So by the time that the last wave comes out, that riverbed will be dry. And they will say, it seems like there was water here once upon a time. Not knowing that it was their own people because of their vast number that had drunk it dry. That day we will display hell in its totality to the unbelievers, bringing it near to them. And that is mentioned in the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud on the day of judgment. The fire of hell will be drawn out, brought close, with 70,000 chains. Upon every chain will be 70,000 angels, showing you the size and the magnitude of the fire of hell. الذين كانت أعينهم في غطاء عن ذكري وكانوا لا يستطيعون سمعا. Those unbelievers whose eyes were blind to my remembrance, meaning the Quran, meaning not guided by it, and whose ears were unable to hear what the Prophet recited to them, because of their hatred for him, which prevented them from believing. أفحسب الذين كفروا أن يتخذوا عبادي من دوني أولياء. To those who disbelieve, imagine that they can take my slaves, such as the angels and the prophets, Isa and Uzair, as protectors, meaning lords instead of me. Do they suppose that taking them as lords will not anger me and that I will not punish them for it? No. We have prepared hell as hospitality, as one prepares a place for a guest, for the unbelievers, meaning those people and others. 
قل هل ننبئكم بالاخسرين اعمالا say shall i inform you of the greatest losers in their actions الذين ضل سعيهم في الحياه الدنيا وهم يحسبون انهم يحسنون صنعا people whose efforts in the life of this world are misguided their actions are worthless while they suppose that they are doing good for which they will be rewarded ulaika alladhina kafaru biayati rabbihim wa liqaa'ihi those are the people who reject their lord's signs the evidence of his oneness in the quran and elsewhere and the meeting with him at the resurrection reckoning and reward and penalty fahabitat a'maluhum their actions will come to nothing meaning they are null and void fala nuqimu lahum yawm alqiyamati wazna and on the day of rising we will not assign them any weight or importance and that is mentioned the hadith of abu huraira radiyallahu anhu al bukhari that a person will come on the day of judgment who is extremely fat all they did in this world was eat and drink but when they are measured and weighed in the scale of allah azza wa jalla they will not be equal to the wing of a mosquito ذلك جزاؤهم جهنم بما كفروا واتخذوا اياتي ورسلي هزوا that which we have mentioned about their actions being worthless and other things is their repayment how because they disbelieved and made a mockery of my signs and of my messengers Allah knows what they have done. Inna alladhina amanu wa amilu s-salihati kanat lahum jannatul firdaws nuzula. Those who believe and do right actions will have the gardens of paradise as hospitality, a place located right at the center of the gardens which is also the highest of them. In verse 107 Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions Jannatul Firdaws and Jannatul Firdaws will also be mentioned towards the beginning of Surah Al-Mu'minun. The translation doesn't say for ghosts and it's just translated as as a general garden of paradise and I think that that is a mistranslation but the word for ghosts as is mentioned authentically in the hadith of Ibn Abbas and Samr ibn Jundab radiyallahu anhuma in Al-Bukhari and in Muslim and in Tirmidhi and in Ahmad and others is that the Prophet ﷺ told us to make specifically dua for al-firdaws and then he said that al-firdaws is in the middle of Jannah and it is the highest level of jannah and above it is the throne of allah and from it to all of the rivers of jannah flow so it is a specific part of jannah it is not just jannah in general so the translation is that allah has prepared for them the gardens of al-firdaws and that is a more accurate translation because it is a specific part of jannah and it is the best and highest part of jannah and that is why the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam used to say that if you ask allah for jannah then ask him for al-firdaws خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا لَا يَبْغُونَ عَنْهَا حِوَلًا remaining in them timelessly forever with no desire to move away from them meaning from the gardens to any other place and in verse 108 that is from the beauty of jannah from one of its greatest blessings that a person will never want to be removed from it that they will never become fed up or tired of it because a person no matter how much they go and visit a place here in this world at some point sooner or later it becomes normal for them you become desensitized and that is why people who love to travel for example to the states because they think it's an amazing place the people in the states want to travel to the uk and then the people of the uk go to i don't know turkey and the people of turkey go to malaysia and people are always going to other places because what they have there for them is normal the people in the cities go to the countryside the people of the countryside love to go and visit cities and that is because as humans our nature is that we become fed up but from the beauty of jannah is that you will never become fed up you will never want to change you will never want to leave you will never want an escape and that is from the complete and perfection of the blessing of jannah 
قل لو كان البحر مدادا لكلمات ربي لنفد البحر قبل أن تنفذ كلمات ربي ولو جئنا بمثله مددا Say, if all the water of the sea were ink, used to write down the words of my Lord, describing his wisdoms and wonders, it would run out long before the words of my Lord run out. Read as, tenfada and yanfada, meaning there would not be enough water in the sea to write it down, even if we were to bring the same amount of ink again. This would be true even if another sea of the same size were to be added. It would still run out and would not be enough. Allah Azza wa Jalla in verse 109, the generation of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, matakna al-Tirmidhi and Ahmad, that he says that when Allah Azza wa Jalla said, Concerning the verse of the Ruh in Surah Al-Isra that we mentioned yesterday, قُلِ الرُّوحُ مِنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّي Say that the Ruh is from the affair of my Lord, وَمَا أُوْتِيْتُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا And you have been only given a very little amount of knowledge. Ibn Abbas anhumah said that some of the Jews of Medina began to say, your Qur'an tells you that you have very little of knowledge. As for us, we have all of knowledge because we have the Torah. You have very little knowledge, that's what your religion says. As for us, we have all of knowledge in the Torah. So Allah revealed this verse. Say that if you were to bring all of the oceans together, they will not be enough to encompass the words of my Lord. Say, I am only a human being like yourselves, a descendant of Adam like you. It is revealed to me that your God is one God. So let him who hopes to meet his Lord at the resurrection and repayment act rightly and not associate anyone in the worship of his Lord. Surah Maryam Mary, this surah is Meccan except for ayat 58 and 71 which are Medinan. It has 98 or 99 ayat and was sent down after Surah Fatih. So this is the 19th, 19th surah of the Quran, Surah Maryam or Mary. And there is a Makki surah in the opinion of the majority of the scholars of Tafsir to the extent that Ibn Atiyah and Al-Qurtubi said by ijma' by consensus. Even though as you can see, Asiyuti mentions that there is some difference over a couple of verses and that difference comes from the early scholar Muqatim ibn Hayyan rahimahullah ta'ala but the majority of the scholars are of the position that it is a Makki surah and this is a surah that contains 90 verses by our Mus'ha 98 verses and it is the surah that was recited mentioned in the sunnah that when the companions made the migration to Abyssinia and they came to an Najashi and the Najashi was quizzing them about their belief in Isa alayhi salam and his mother Maryam that this is the surah that was recited by Ja'far ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhu, the older brother of Ali, who was from those companions who had migrated there. He recited from this surah, showing our belief concerning Maryam and Isa alayhi salam. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allah knows best what this means. And again, Al-Mahalli, as a Siyuti did in his tafsir, has the same uh, commentary on this. Allah knows best what is intended by this. Allah knows best what is intended by this. And a Siyuti therefore took that uh, tafsir from his teacher, Al-Mahalli. Remembering your Lord's mercy to his slave, Zakariya. When he called on his Lord in secret, he did this secretly in the middle of the night because supplication at that time has the swiftest response. 
And Ibn, Ibn Kathir ta'ala in the tafsir of the third verse, he says, and he made dua to Allah in secret because it is more beloved to Allah. Meaning that you make dua to Allah when you are alone and in a low, low voice. You don't shout and you don't scream, but you do it in a low voice. As Allah says in the Quran, elsewhere, Ud'u Rabbakum, wa Call out upon your Lord in, hum, in, in humility and in secret, meaning in a low voice. قال رب إني وهن العظم مني واشتعل الرأس شيبا and said my lord my bones have all lost their strength and my head is crowned with white whiteness spread through his hair as fire spreads through wood ولم أكن بدعائك رب شقيا but in calling on you my lord I have never been disappointed so do not disappoint me now and this is what we mentioned already these verses at the opening chapter of Surah Maryam are an extension of the story that we already covered of Zakaria in Surah Ali Imran and the incident of Zakaria seeing the fruit come to Maryam and then asking where she gets it from and she says it's from Allah and then he turns to Allah and he makes dua that is the dua now that Allah is relaying in more strength and with more, and sorry, in more detail and with more information I fear my relatives when I am gone, meaning I fear that after I die, those close to me in kinship, such as cousins, will cause the deen to be lost, as I have seen happen among the tribe of Israel who altered the deen. And my wife is barren, so give me an heir, meaning a son from you. And in verse 5, what Zakaria is fearing is that after he passes away, there is no one from his family, from his relatives, from Bani Israel who will stand up and fulfill the duty of conveying Allah's message and his religion. That's what he's referring to. And some of the modern tafasir that say that what he feared when he says, I fear for my relatives when I am gone, that they're going to take my wealth and my property, then that is a tafsir that is not from the tafsir of the Salaf. Because the prophets don't care about property and money. That's not their concern. Nor do the people inherit from their property and money. As we know, the Prophet said, the prophets do not leave behind as their inheritance, wealth and property. So what he fears from them is not about money and property, but what he fears from them is that they will not convey the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To be my inheritor and the inheritor of the family of Ya'qub, inheriting knowledge and prophethood. And make him my Lord pleasing to you. Then Allah Almighty answered his request for his son as a mercy to him and said, Ya Zakariya, inna nubashiruka bi ghulamin ismuhu Yahya. Zakariya, we give you the good news of a boy named Yahya to inherit from you as you have asked. Lam naj'allahu min qablu samiya. A name we have given to no one else before. Qala rabbi anna yakunu li ghulam wa kanat imra'ati 'aqiran wa qad balaghtu min al-kibari 'itiya. He said, my lord, how can I have a boy when my wife is barren and I have reached advanced old age. Ata means to become dry, in this case at the end of one's life. Zakaria was 120 and his wife was 98 years old. In verse number 8 we already mentioned in one of the questions that we did as to why he makes dua Zakaria mm-hmm. and then after that he questions Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as to how he can have a child. We already covered that so I'm not going to repeat it. But one thing that you will find in both Surah Al-Imran and in Surah Maryam is that Zakaria when he's told that he will have a child says Oh Allah, how can I have a boy, a son? He uses the word ghulam, and ghulam means son. As opposed to in the story of Maryam, as we will soon see, in Maryam, in Surah Al-Imran, she says, how can I have a walad, a child? 
Whereas in Surah Maryam, she will say, how can I have a ghulam, which means a boy. And we discuss the reason for that. that Zakaria, both times, he says, why will I have a son? Because in both places, Allah Azza wa tells him first, that he will have a son. So he responds, and how can I have a son? Because in both places, Allah says, you will have a child, a boy called Yahya. So he knows already that he will have a son. <coughs> قال كذلك قال ربك هو علي هين he said it shall be so meaning that is how it will be you will have a boy your lord says that is easy for me to do it is not difficult to return to you the power of intercourse and to open the womb of your wife to fertilization وقد خلقتك من قبل ولم تك شيئا I created you before when you were not anything this is how Allah demonstrates his immense power he, he inspired Zakaria to ask so that he could grant something which demonstrates it then Zakaria yearned for a sign of the good news given to him. In Surah Al-Imran, one of the points that I forgot to mention, one of the differences between the story of Zakaria and Maryam, السلام, as mentioned in Surah Al-Imran, is that when Zakaria asks this question, how is it possible? In Surah Al-Imran, Allah says, That is, Allah, as Allah pleases, He does what He wishes. Whereas in the story of Maryam السلام, Allah says, يَخْلُقُ مَا يَشَاءُ He creates what he wishes, not does what he wishes. And the difference that is mentioned between the two is because the story of Zakaria is not about something which is impossible, but about something which is rare. Meaning a child, for a person to have a child beyond the normal age of having children is not something impossible, but it is something extremely rare. And that's why you have those, you know, very rare incidents where people in their 60s have children. It is rare, but it's not unheard of. Whereas in the story of Maryam, it is something rare. And that is that a person should have a child without a male intervention. And so that is the difference between Yaf'al and between Yakhluq. And also because, as Shaykh Al-Thaymeen says, the word Yakhluq means that he creates, to show that Isa is a creation of Allah, because obviously the Christians believed him to be God or the Son of God. And that is another reason and Allah knows best. He said, My Lord, give me a sign to show that my wife will become pregnant. He said, Your sign is not to speak to people for three nights. He was prevented from speaking to people without having any impediment, but not from invoking Allah, although you are perfectly able to. In verse 10, the word sawiyah has two meanings. Number one is, as the author Ta'ala mentions, you cannot speak to them despite being healthy. Sawiyah, you're not ill, there's no impediment, there's no reason why you can't speak, but the sign of Allah is that you will not be able to. That's one tafsir. The second meaning of sawiyah is for three nights consecutively. Sawiyah, three nights, one after the other. Both of them are the meaning of sawiyah. فَخَرَجَ عَلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ مِنَ الْمِحْرَابِ He came out to his people from the upper room, meaning the temple. They used to wait for him to open it so that they could pray in it when he ordered them to, as was the custom. فَأَوْحَىٰ إِلَيْهِمْ أَن سَبِّحُوا بُكْرَةً وَعَشِيًّا And gestured to them to glorify Allah, meaning pray in the morning and the evening, as was the custom. He knew by his inability to speak that his wife was pregnant with Yahya. Two years after Yahya's birth, Allah Almighty said to him, Ya Yahya, khudhi al-kitaba Yahya, take hold of the book, meaning the Torah, with vigor and seriousness. Wa We gave him judgment, meaning prophethood, while still a child, when he was three years old. 
وحنانا من لدنا وزكاه وكان تقيا and tenderness compassion towards people and purity truthfulness to them from us he was god fearing it is repeat it is reported that he did not commit a single wrong action or even intend one وبرًا بوالديه and devotion meaning kindness to his parents ولم يكن جبارا عصيا he was not insolent or disobedient to his lord وسلام عليه يوم ولد ويوم يموت ويوم يبعث حيا peace from us be upon be upon him the day he was born and the day he dies and the day he is raised up again alive referring to the fearful last days in which things will be seen that have never been seen before he will be safe during them and these are from the attributes that Allah Azza wa Jal from the virtues of Yahya alayhi salam and the man in which Allah Azza wa Jal praises him in the Quran and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions him from his good character of establishing the prayer and giving the zakah and being dutiful towards his parents and so on and Allah Azza wa Jal and the story of Yahya alayhi salam is mentioned somewhat in the books of Sunnah but we don't have time to go through his story at the moment but he was a contemporary of Isa alayhi salam meaning both of them were prophets and lived during the same period of time in verse 15 Allah Azza wa Jal says وَسَلَامٌ عَلَيْهِ Peace be upon him Peace be upon him the scholars of tafsir differ as to the meaning of salam in this verse the first opinion is as you can see the one that is chosen by As-Siyuti rahimahullah and it's the position of Ibn Atiyah and others is that salam refers to the greeting As-salam means the greeting. The second position which is chosen by Al-Qabari and Ibn Kathir and others is that salam comes from safety. Salam, meaning safety be upon me. And that seems more likely. That Allah Azza wa Jal is saying that he's making dua that Allah keeps him safe on the day that he is born, the day that he dies and the day that he is resurrected. As some others have said, because those are the three most difficult stages for a person. When they first come into this world, it's a very fragile time. When they die and their soul is taken, is an extremely difficult time. And when they are resurrected, that is the third difficult station that a person goes through. And that is the position, as we said, of Al-Tabari and Ibn Kathir and others. Rahimahumullah. وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ مَرْيَمَ إِذٍ تَبَذَتْ مِنْ أَهْلِهَا مَكَانًا Mention the news of Maryam in the book, meaning the Qur'an. How she withdrew from her people to an eastern place, in a part of Zakaria's house which was towards the east. فَاتَّخَذَتْ مِن دُونِهِمْ حِجَابًا And veiled herself from them. She let, she let down a curtain to conceal herself, so that she could delouse her hair or her clothes, or have a ghusl after menstruation. فَأَرْسَلْنَا إِلَيْهَا رُوحَنَا فَتَمَتَّلَ لَهَا بَشَرًا سَوِيًّا Then we sent our ruh, meaning Jibreel, to her after she had dressed, and it took on for her the form of a, of a handsome, well-built man. In verse 17, the author, Rahmanullah Ta'ala, when Allah says that she veiled herself from her people, he gives a number of different interpretations, and, and those statements you will find in one form or another in the books of Tafsir. But the one that he doesn't mention, that is uh, perhaps stronger than all of them, is that she veiled herself by going to her place of worship, where she would take a place of worship. And in those times, as we saw in the story of Zakaria, people would worship Allah in a specific place, a mihrab, it is called. And a mihrab doesn't mean like the mihrab that you have here in the masjid, but what the mihrab means is a place of prayer. It is a place that you pray and worship Allah in. It could be in your home, and it could be elsewhere. And that is why one of the Khasa'is of the Prophet one of the things that the Prophet was given that was from his special attributes is he said, All of the earth has been made for me a place of purification, meaning you can make tayammum from the ground and a masjid, the place of prayer. 
in previous nations, you couldn't pray anywhere. You had to pray in a specific place that they would call the mihrab. So when she veils herself from her people, means she goes into her place of prayer. And Allah knows best. قالت إني أعوذ بالرحمن منك إن كنت تقيا. She said, I seek refuge from you with the All Merciful. If you are God fearing, if you are God fearing, you will leave me alone because of my seeking refuge. قال إنما أنا رسول ربك لأهب لك غلاما زكيا. He said, I am only your Lord's messenger, so that he may give you a pure boy who will be a prophet. قالت أن يكون لي غلام ولم يمسسني بشر ولم أكو بغيا. She said, how can I have a boy when no man has touched me through marriage, and I am not an unchaste woman, meaning fornicatress. In verse 19, she responds, how can I have a boy? And as I said in Surah Al Imran, she responds, how can I have a child? And it seems one of the positions amongst the scholars who try to reconcile between those two differences is that in Surah Al Imran. She's given the glad tidings of a spirit, a word. So she doesn't know what form that word from Allah will take. So she says, how can I have a child? Whereas here, Allah says to her, the angel says, you will have a boy. So she responds, how can I possibly have a boy? And Allah knows best. And then in verse 20, when she says, no man has touched me, nor am I someone who commits fornication. Whereas in Surah Al-Imran, that Last part of the verse, I am not an unchaste woman. That isn't mentioned in Surah Al-Imran, it is only mentioned here. But some of the scholars said that the difference is that no man has touched me, meaning through marriage, as Asiyuti mentions, or Al-Mahalli rahimahullah mentions, nor am I unchaste, meaning that I haven't had marital relations or relations, sexual relations outside of the bonds of marriage either. That's one position. The other position is, that in Surah Al-Imran, Allah Azza doesn't mention the detail of the angels coming to her in the form of men. Doesn't come in the form of a man. Allah just mentions that the angel came. So she doesn't need to say anything about her relationship with men or not men. Whereas in this Surah, Allah says in the previous verse, in verse 17, that a man came to her. That, a, that a, an angel came to her in the form of a man. So now because he's in the form of a man, she dismisses both options. She says, I don't, I'm not married, and I'm not someone who will do something outside of the bonds of marriage either. And Allah knows best. <clears throat> he said, it will be so. That is what is going to happen. You will give birth to a boy without a father. Your Lord says, that is easy for me. It is not difficult for me to breathe into you so that you become pregnant. وَلِنَجْعَلَهُ آيَةً لِلنَّاسِ وَرَحْمَةً مِنَّا It is so that we can make him a sign for mankind of our power and a mercy from us for those who believe in him. وَكَانَ أَمْرًا مَقْضِيًّا It is a matter already decreed in my foreknowledge. So Jibreel blew into the pocket of her shift and she felt herself become pregnant. فَحَمَلَتْهُ فَانْتَبَلَتْ بِهِ مَكَانًا قَصِيًّا So she conceived him and withdrew with him to a distant place far away from her people. Sorry, in verse number 22, means that she became pregnant with him, not that she conceived him, because in verse 23, Allah says, now she goes through the pains of labor. And the pains of labor don't come after conception, they come before. So, she became pregnant with him, and so she withdrew. She withdrew because she didn't want people to accuse her of being unchaste, because now her pregnancy is visible. The pains of labor drove her to the trunk of a date palm. 
She leaned against it and gave birth. Pregnancy, formation, and birth all took one hour. قالت يا ليتني مت قبل هذا وكنت نسيا منسيا. She said, Oh, if only I had died before this time and was something discarded and forgotten. In verse 23, the commentary of Al-Mahalli رحمه الله that she gave birth and pregnancy and formation only in an hour, only a short period of time, that isn't from an authentic narration. That is from an Israeli narration. فَنَادَاهَا مِن تَحْتِهَا أَلَّا تَحْزَنِي A voice, meaning Jibreel, called out to her from under her, lower than her, do not grieve. قَدْ جَعَلَ رَبُّكِ تَحْتَكِ سَرِيَّا Your Lord has placed a small stream. The word used here means a spring which is dammed up and becomes a small pool at your feet. In verse 24, the author, Allah, says that the voice that she hears beneath her is the voice of Jibreel, which is one position amongst the scholars of Tafsir. And the second position the one that was chosen by Tabari and is related by Sa'id ibn Jubair and others, alayhi rahmatullah, is that it is Isa alayhi salam who speaks. And we know from the authentic narration that Isa would speak in infancy from the cradle. That is the second position. And what supports that second position is the other qira'ah that isn't mentioned here in the translation. And that is the qira'ah of Shu'ba and Ibn Kathir and Abu Amr and Ibn Amr and others that they read, فَنَادَاهَا مَنْ تَحْتَهَا that the one who was you know, beneath her, not the voice came from beneath her, but the one who was beneath her, meaning the one who is beneath her is her child, Isa alayhi salatu wassalam, and Allah knows best. Shake the trunk of the palm towards you, and fresh ripe dates will drop down. Read as, تساقط, تساقط, and يساقط. Ripe dates will drop down onto you. Eat the dates and drink from the stream and delight your eyes with your child. Be content and do not look for anything else. If you should see anyone at all who asks you about your child, just say, I have made a vow of abstinence, a vow not to speak about him to other people, to the, uh, to the all-merciful, and today I will not speak to any human being. She brought him to her people, carrying him. They said when they saw her, Maryam, you have done an unthinkable thing, meaning producing a baby with no father. Sister of Harun. Harun was a righteous, righteous man. So the meaning of this form of address is, you who have always been considered the same as Harun in respect of chastity. Your father was not an evil man, meaning a fornicator. Nor was your mother an unchaste woman, a fornicatress. So, how can you have this child? In verse 28, Maryam is called and referred to by her people as the sister of Harun. And the scholars differ over who is this Harun that is being referred to. From amongst them is they say that it is Harun And that is why we said that position in the story of Musa, Musa ibn Imran, that some of the scholars have the position that this is actually his real sister. And that is a very far-fetched opinion. The other opinion is that she is from the children of Harun. That she is from the descendants of Harun. And so she is called Ya Ukhta Harun because in Arabic that's what they do. If you come from the descendants of someone, for example, if you're from Banu Tamim, 
Tamim is the ancestor, they call you your Akha Tamim, or brother of Tamim. Doesn't mean you're his actual brother, it means you're from his descendants. That is a well-known Arabic form of expression. Others said the Harun that is mentioned here is a different Harun, a righteous man who lived at that time, whose name was also Harun, and that was her brother. She had a brother called Harun, not the Harun that is a prophet, but a righteous man who was her brother, whose name was Harun. And the other opinion is that Harun is an expression taken from the Prophet Harun which resembles his honesty, his integrity, his good character. So anyone that they would consider to be righteous, they would call Harun. So you are the sister of Harun, meaning that you should be like him in terms of your modesty, in terms of your honor and so on. And Allah Azza wa knows best, but the one that it is definitely not is that it is not the actual Prophet Harun alayhi salam. And Allah knows best. فَأَشَارَتْ إِلَيْهِ She pointed towards him, indicating that they should speak to him. قَالُوا كَيْفَ نُكَلِّمُ مَنْ كَانَ فِي الْمَهْدِ صَبِيَّةِ They said, how can a baby in the cradle speak? قَالَ إِنِّي عَبْدُ اللَّهِ He, meaning Isa, said, I am the slave of Allah. آتَانِيَ الْكِتَابَ وَجَعَلَنِي نَبِيَّةِ He has given me the book, meaning the gospel, and made me a prophet. وَجَعَلَنِي مُبَارَكًا أَيْنَمَا كُنْتِ he has made me blessed wherever I am, a benefit to people, reporting about what was destined for him. And directed me to do the prayer and give zakat as long as I live. In verse 31, Allah says, He has made me blessed wherever I am. And the meaning of blessed is as Al-Mahalli says, and as Ibn Qayyim agreed with, a benefit to people, meaning someone who teaches people good, and benefits them. That is the meaning of being blessed. And to show devotion to my mother. He has not made me insolent or arrogant towards my Lord. Peace from Allah be upon me the day I was born and the day I die and the day I am raised up again alive. This is similar to what was said about Prophet Yahya. And the commentary is the same as what we said about the Prophet Yahya. That a salam can mean the greeting or it can mean peace and safety. As we mentioned as the opinion of Al-Tabari and Kathir and others. That is Isa, son of Maryam. The word of truth about which they are, they are in doubt. That they mentioned here are the Christians who lie when they say that Isa is the son of Allah. It is not fitting for Allah to have a son. Subhanah, glory be to him. He is pure and above that. When he decides on bringing something into existence, he just says to it, Be, and it is. Allah is well able to create Isa without a father. Verse 36. There are two readings for the first word of this ayah. Inna and Anna. If it begins with Anna, it means remember that. If it begins with Inna, it means say. The evidence for this is, I told them nothing but what you ordered me to say. Worship Allah, my Lord, and your Lord. Allah is my Lord and your Lord, so worship Him. This is a straight path which leads to the garden. In verse 36, what the author is referring to, if it's Inna, it means say that they worship Allah, that I worship Allah alone. What is referring to is the verse, مَا قُلْتُ لَهُمْ إِلَّا مَا أَمَرْتَنِي بِهِ أَنِعْبُدُ اللَّهَ رَبِّي وَرَبَّكُمْ If it's inna, it refers to that statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, which is a command to worship Allah alone. 
The parties differed among themselves. The Christians disagreed about Isa and whether he was the son of Allah or a god coexistent with him or one of three. Woe, meaning intense punishment to those who disbelieve in what has been mentioned and other things when they are present on a terrible day, on the day of rising and experience its terrors. How clear will be their hearing, how perfect their sight. The grammatical form of these words indicates wonder and astonishment on the day they come to us in the next world. Whereas today, in this world, the wrongdoers are clearly misguided. It is clear that they are deaf to hearing the truth and blind to seeing it. They will be amazed at the clearness of their hearing and perfection of their sight in the next world when they were blind and deaf to the truth in this world. And this verse is similar to the question that I asked at the beginning. That Allah says that they will be deaf, dumb and blind. But here is another example of Allah saying that they will be perfect in their hearing and their sight. And the meaning, as we said, is that they will have retention of those of those faculties but that they will not be able to benefit from them but rather it will be a means of increasing them in their punishment and their humiliation. Warn them, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca, Muhammad وسلم, of the day of bitter regret to make them fear the day of rising on which the evil doers will regret abandoning, ab- abandoning the doing of good in this world when the affair will be resolved and the punishment decreed for them. But they take no notice in this world. They do not believe it. It is we who shall inherit the earth and all those on it, meaning those with consciousness on the earth and others by destroying them. They will be returned to us to be repaid for what they did. Mention to them Ibrahim in the book. He was a true. The word Siddiq used here is in an intensive form, indicating intensive truthfulness. Man and a prophet. Remember when he said to his father, Azal, Father, why do you worship what can neither hear nor see and is not of any use to you at all? In other words, idols, which could neither defend, benefit or harm him. So when I come to the story, after mentioning the story of Zakaria and Yahya, and in the story of Maryam, السلام, we now come to the story of Ibrahim. And in this particular narration of the story of Ibrahim, we have the discourse between Ibrahim السلام, and his father, Azam. In Surah Al-An'am, Allah mentioned this uh, discourse, but in terms of how it relates between Ibrahim and between his people in general, between his qawm, his nation. But now it's between a son and a father. And you can see from this the manner in which Allah relays the etiquette and the respect that Ibrahim has for his father, despite his father being an enemy towards him and being someone who doesn't, doesn't want to follow him and someone who opposes him. And from those etiquettes is the way that he addresses his father. Ya abati. And abati means dear father. It is more um, expressive and more eloquent than just saying father. Ya Aba. It is abati, oh my dear father. Ya abati inni qad ja'ani min al-ilmi ma lam yatika fattabi'ni ahdika siratan sawiyya. Father, knowledge which never reached you has come to me. So follow me and I will guide you to the right, meaning straight path. And 43, verse 43 is another example of his etiquette with his father. 
He doesn't say, follow me because I know more than you. Follow me because you're ignorant. Follow me, you know nothing. He says, follow me, for I have knowledge which has not come to you. Knowledge which never reached you. And that is a beautiful way of expressing Ibrahim salam's knowledge over his father. Ya abati la shaytan. Father, do not worship shaytan. In other words, do not obey him by worshipping idols. Shaytan was very disobedient to the All-Merciful. Father, I'm afraid that a punishment from the All-Merciful will afflict you if you do not repent and turn you into a comrade of shaytan in the fire. In verse 45, the position of Imam al-Tabari and others is that the word akhafu Oh my father, my dear father, I am afraid for you. The word akhafu means a'lamu, I know. Doesn't mean that he's afraid for him, that he's fearful of him. He says that I know for certain that if you don't follow me and worship Allah alone, you'll be afflicted by this punishment. And that is, in the Arabic language, another meaning, in, depending on the context of the word, khafa, to fear, meaning I know for you. So, oh my dear father, I know that a punishment from the All-Merciful will afflict you if you do not turn away from your worship of those besides Allah that you worship. Yeah. He said, do you forsake my gods, Ibrahim? Meaning, are you tired of them? If you do not stop rejecting them, I will stone you, either with actual stones or with ugly words. Keep away from me for a good long time. He, meaning Ibrahim, said, peace be upon you, meaning that he would not do anything hateful to his father. I will ask my Lord to forgive you. He has always honored me by answering my prayers. We find the fulfillment of Ibrahim's promise to his, to his father in Surah Al-Shu'ara when he said, and forgive my father. This was before it was clear to him that his father was an enemy of Allah, as is mentioned in Surah Tawbah. In verse 46, when Allah says, If you do not stop, I will stone you. And the author Ta'ala, says, either with words or with stones. Because those are the two positions amongst the scholars of tafsir. Some of them said what he means by stoning you means I will curse you. And I will swear on you. Does it mean physical stoning? And the other position that is mentioned by Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin and others is that it is a physical stoning. And some of the scholars said it is both. That he will curse him by tongue and stone him by hand. I will separate, separate myself from you and all you call upon and worship besides Allah. And I will call upon my Lord. It may well be that in calling on my Lord and worshipping Him, I will not be disappointed in the way you will be made wretched by worshipping idols. When he had separated himself from them and what they worshipped besides Allah by going to the Holy Land, we gave him Ishaq and Ya'qub, making each of them a prophet. We endowed the three of them with our mercy in the form of wealth and children. And made them highly honored. They were praised highly by all of the people of religions. In verse 50, we gave, we endowed the three of them with our mercy. The author of Ta'ala says, in the form of wealth and children, but the greatest form of mercy that they were given is prophethood. And everything else comes after that. 
that they were given prophethood by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ مُوسَى Mention Musa in the book. إِنَّهُ كَانَ مُخْلَصَهُ وَكَانَ رَسُولًا نَبِيًّا He was truly sincere. Read as مُخْلَصًا and مُخْلِصًا in his worship. Or this may mean that Allah purified him of all uncleanness and was a messenger and a prophet. In verse 51 Allah Azzawajal says وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ مُوسَى إِنَّهُ كَانَ مُخْلَصًا with the fatha means sincere, as the translation says, sincere in worship. Mukhlisan with the kasra means that he was chosen. Allah chose him and made him special. We called out to him saying, O Musa, I am Allah, from the right hand side, meaning the right of Musa when he faced it, coming from Median, of the mount. Tur was the name of the mountain. And we brought him near in close communication, as is shown by the fact that Allah Almighty made him hear his words. In verse 52, Allah says, وَنَادَيْنَاهُ مِنْ جَانِبِ الطُّورِ الْأَيْمَنِ We called out to him from the right side of the mount. That is the literal translation that is often given. But the position of all of the scholars with tafsir is that the right side means from the right side of where Musa was standing, السلام, not from the right of the mountain. And that is therefore a confusing translation as, as Al-Mahali himself mentions in his commentary the right of Musa when he faced it from the right side of Musa not from the right side of the mountain and that is a common misunderstanding in this verse that people think because the translation often comes from the right hand side of the mountain it's not the mountain the mountain is not the important part in this context it is the Prophet Musa السلام, it came the voice came that he heard from his right وَوَهَبْنَا لَهُ مِنْ رَحْمَتِنَا أَخَاهُ هَارُونَ نَبِيًّا we endowed, with, we endowed with him our mercy, meaning blessing, making his brother Harun a prophet. Harun was made a prophet in answer to Musa's supplication to send his brother with him. His brother was older than him. وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ إِسْمَاعِيلِ Mention Ismail in the book. إِنَّهُ كَانَ صَادِقَ الْوَعْدَ He was true to his promise. So that whenever he made a promise, he kept it. Once he promised to meet someone and waited for him for three days, or it is said a year, until the man returned to him where he was. وَكَانَ رَسُولَ النَّبِيَّ And was a messenger and a prophet. وَكَانَ يَأْمُرُ أَهْلَهُ بِالصَّلَاةِ وَالزَّكَاةِ وَكَانَ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِ مَرْضِيَّ He used to command his people to do the prayer and give zakat, and he was pleasing to his Lord. وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ إِدْرِيسِ Mention Idris in the book. He was a great grandfather of Nur. In verse 56, Allah Azza wa mentions now the story or the mention at least of the Prophet Idris. And the Prophet Idris in the Quran is mentioned by name a couple of times, but nothing is really told of us of his story in terms of details. And Imam Al Qurtubi and others in their books of tafsir have narrations, and Allah knows best about their authenticity. But they say, for example, that Idris was the first one to write with the pen. He was the first one to write and he was the first one to sow and, and other things that they mentioned concerning him. But what seems clear from the narrations is that he was a prophet who came before Nuh So in the period of time between Adam and between Nuh That is the period that he came in and Allah knows best. Whereas for him being a direct ascendant of Nuh, again that is something which only Allah knows. إِنَّهُ كَانَ صِدِّيقًا نَبِيًّا He was a true man and a prophet. وَرَفَعْنَاهُ مَكَانًا عَلِيًّا We raised him up to a high place. He is alive in the fourth, sixth or seventh heaven or in the garden which he entered after experiencing death and being brought to life. He will never leave it. Allah Azza wa Jal mentions 
that he was raised to a high place and the author says the fourth or sixth or seventh heaven but it is the fourth heaven as is mentioned in the authentic hadith that we read yesterday at the beginning of Surah Al-Isra and the night journey of the Prophet ﷺ when he goes to the different heavens and he meets the different prophets the Prophet Idris ﷺ, he meets on the fourth heaven according to that authentic narration in Bukhari أولئك الذين أنعم الله عليهم من النبيين من ذرية آدم وممن حملنا مع نوح Those are some of the prophets Allah has blessed from the descendants of Adam namely Idris and from those we carried with Nuh in the ark meaning Ibrahim the descendant of Nuh's son Sam ومن ذرية إبراهيم وإسرائيل وممن هدينا واجتبينا and from the descendants of Ibrahim, namely Ismail and Ishaq, and Israel, another name for Ya'qub, among whose descendants are Musa, Harun, Zakaria, Yahya, and Isa, and from those we guided and chose from all of them. إِذَا تُتْلَى عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُ الرَّحْمَانِ خَرُّوا سُجَّدًا When the signs of the all merciful were recited to them, they fell on their faces, weeping in prostration. فَخَلَفَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ أَضَاعُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَاتَّبَعُوا الشَّهَوَاتِ An evil generation succeeded them who neglected the prayer by abandoning it, referring to Jews and Christians, and followed their appetites by perpetrating acts of disobedience. فَسَوْفَ يُلْقَوْنَ غَيَّاتِ They will plunge into the valley of evil, a valley in hellfire. In verse 59, Allah says these are people who أَضَاعُوا الصَّلَاةَ أَضَاعُوا الصَّلَاةَ They neglected the prayer. And one position is, as Al-Mahali rahimahullah, mentions that abandoning the prayer is what is being referred to in <coughs> neglect. In terms of neglect, they abandoned the prayer. And the other opinion is that they delayed the prayer beyond its time. So they would pray it, but they would pray it late. Abandon means to not pray at all. Delay, you delay beyond its time. And Ibn Qayyim said, both of those tafsirs are correct. إِلَّا مَنْ آمَنَ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا فَإِلَّا مَنْ تَابَ وَآمَنَ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا فَأُولَٰئِكَ يَدْخُلُونَ الْجَنَّةَ وَلَا يُظْلَمُونَ شَيْئًا Except for those who repent and believe and act rightly. They will enter the garden and they will not be wronged in any way by having their reward decreased by the slightest amount. جَنَّاتِ عَدْنِنِ الَّتِي وَعَدَ الرَّحْمَانُ عِبَادَهُ بِالْغَيْبِ Residing in gardens of Eden, which the All-Merciful has promised to his slaves in the unseen, something which is veiled from them. His promise is always kept. What he promises will inevitably come to pass. What is promised here is a garden to which those destined for it will certainly come. They will not hear any prattling there. They will hear nothing but peace from the angels to them or between themselves. وَلَهُمْ رِزْقُهُمْ فِيهَا بُكْرَةً وَعَشِيَّةً They will receive their provision there, morning and night, just as they do in this world. Although in the garden there will be no night or day, they will be in perpetual light and illumination. In verse 62, the meaning of the word لَغْوَ لَا يَسْمَعُونَ فِيهَا لَغْوَ They will not hear any prattling, meaning any vain speech, any false speech. That is the meaning of the word لَغْوَ تلك الجنة التي نورث من عبادنا من كان تقيا That is a garden which we will bequeath and give to those of our slaves who show they are God-fearing by obeying us. Verse 64 This was revealed when the revelation was delayed for some days. The Prophet ﷺ asked Jibreel what had kept him from visiting and the reply came وَمَا نَتَنَزَّلُ إِلَّا بِأَمْرِ رَبِّكَ We only descend at your Lord's command. 
له ما بين أيدينا وما خلفنا وما بين ذلك Everything in front of us referring to what is going to happen in the next world and everything behind us referring to what happens in this world and everything in between from this moment until the last day belongs to him. He has knowledge of all of that. وَمَا كَانَ رَبُّكَ نَسِيَّا Your Lord does not forget meaning that Allah will not abandon you by delaying revelation to you. In verse 64 this narration that is mentioned is in Sahih al-Bukhari in the narration of Ibn Abbas that the Prophet used to say to Jibreel why don't you visit me more meaning come more often to me and he said to him Allah revealed this verse that they don't come and descend by their own accord it is Allah who sends them as he pleases. <coughs> رَبُّ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا فَاعْبُدُهُ وَاسْطَبِرْ لِعِبَادَتِهِ He is Lord of the heavens and the earth and everything in between them. So worship him and persevere in his worship. هَلْ تَعْلَمُ لَهُ سَمِيَّا Do you know of any other with his name? Meaning do you know of any other called Allah? No. Verse 66. The man referred to here who denied the resurrection was either Ubay ibn Khalaf or Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughira. And the ayah was revealed about him. وَيَقُولُ الْإِنسَانُ أَإِذَا مَا مِتُّ لَسَوْفَ أُخْرَجُ حَيَّا Man says, when I am dead, will I then be brought again, brought out again, alive from the graves, as Muhammad says, sallallahu alayhi wa The question is one which implies a negative response. In other words, he does not think he will be brought to life after death. أَوَلَا يَذْكُمُ الْإِنسَانُ أَنَّا خَلَقْنَاهُ مِنْ قَبْنُ وَلَمْ يَكُ شَيْئًا Does not man recall, read as, يَذْكُرُ أَنْ يَذَّكَّرُ that we created him before when he was not anything. The fact that Allah originated man from non-existence indicates that he can bring him back again. By your Lord we will collect them, meaning those who deny the resurrection and the shaytans together. We will gather each of them shackled with shaytan in chains. Then we will assemble them around, the outside of hell on their knees, read as jithiyyah and juthiyyah. ثُمَّ لَنَنْزِعَنَّ مِنْ كُلِّ شِيعَةٍ أَيُّهُمْ أَشَدُّ عَلَى الرَّحْمَانِ عِتِيَّا Then we will drag out from every sect the one among them most insolent towards the All-Merciful. ثُمَّ لَنَحْنُ أَعْلَمُ بِالَّذِينَ هُمْ أَوْلَى بِهَا صِلِيَّا Then it is we who will know best those most deserving to roast in it, to suffer the most severe punishment in hellfire. وَإِن مِّنْكُمْ إِلَّا وَارِدُهَا There is not one of you who will not come to it. Everyone will go through hellfire. كَانَ عَلَىٰ رَبِّكَ حَتْمًا مَقْضِيًّا That is the final decision of your Lord and will not fail to happen. In verse 71, Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَإِن مِّنْكُمْ إِلَّا وَارِدُهَا There is not one of you except that they will come to it. Al-Mahalli rahimahullah says, meaning everyone will go through the fire. That is one position amongst the scholars of Tafsir. And the other one, which is the stronger position and Allah knows best, is that you will not come to it, meaning not that you will go through the fire, in the fire, but that you will traverse over it, pass over it, over the bridge. And that is what is mentioned in the sunnah. And Allah knows best. That seems to be the stronger opinion. That it's not going through the fire, but over it. <coughs> then we will rescue, read as, Nunaji and Nunaji. Those who Nunji and Nunaji. Then we will rescue those who are God-fearing, avoiding both shirk and unbelief. And we will leave the wrongdoers in it on their knees. 
وإذا تتلى عليهم آياتنا بينات قال الذين كفروا للذين آمنوا أي الفريقين خير مقاما وأحسن نديا When our clear signs, meaning the Qur'an, are recited to them, meaning the believers and unbelievers, those who disbelieve say to those who believe, which of the two parties, we or you, has a better position, read as maqam and muqam, meaning dwelling, and the more illustrious gathering, read as nadi or nadi, meaning a place where the people gather to talk. The implication is, we are better than you. In verse 73, there is a mistranslation, when he says, وَأَحْسَنُ nadiya and the more illustrious gathering, read as Nadi and Nadi, that is not what Al Mahalli says in his tafsir. He says there is no other qira, there is only one qira, and that is Nadiya. But he says Nadiya comes from the word Nadi. Not that it is a different qira, but that in Arabic the word Nadiya comes from Nadi. And Nadi is a place of gathering where people gather together and they converse and talk to one another. So it's not a different reading, but rather that is the origin of the word in Arabic. وَكَمْ أَهْلَكْنَا قَبْلَهُمْ مِنْ قَرْنٍ هُمْ أَحْسَنُ أَثَاثًا وَرِئِيًا How many generations of past nations we have destroyed before them who had finer furnishings? The word used here, athath, means both wealth and goods, and a better outward show. Just as Allah destroyed those before them for their unbelief, so He will also destroy these. قُلْ مَنْ كَانَ فِي الضَّلَالَةِ فَلْيَمْدُدْ لَهُ الرَّحْمَانُ مَدًّا حَتَّى إِذَا رَأَوْ مَا يُوعَدُونَ إِمَّا الْعَذَابَ وَإِمَّا السَّاعَةِ Say, as for those who are astray, let the all-merciful prolong their term in this world to draw them on until they see what they were promised, whether it be the punishment such as killing or imprisonment or the hour, which includes entering hellfire. فَسَيَعْلَمُونَ مَنْ هُوَ شَرٌ مَكَانًا وَأَضْعَفُ جُنْدًا then they will know who is in the worst position and has a weaker troops, meaning helpers. Whether they or the believers are better off, the troops are shaytans and the troops of the believers are the, angel, are the angels who watch over them. Allah augments those who are guided by belief, by giving them greater guidance in the form of the signs which sent down to them. وَالْبَاقِيَاتُ الصَّالِحَاتُ خَيْرٌ عِنْدَ رَبِّكَ ثَوَابًا وَخَيْرٌ in your Lord's sight, right actions, meaning obedience to Allah, which will remain forever in the person's record, which are lasting, are better both in reward and in end result. That is not the case with the actions of the unbelievers. In verse 76, Allah says, Those that Allah guides, meaning with Iman, Allah increases them in guidance, meaning that they will actually increase in Iman by seeing Allah's signs. And that is one of the proofs that Iman increases. And sometimes there is a mistranslation done here that the increases in actions to deny that Iman increases and decreases. And Walbaqiyatul Salihat, everlasting good deeds, we mentioned in the tafsir of Surah Al Kahf that the correct opinion amongst the scholars is that it is every good deed that is done sincerely and its reward lasts on, until the Day of Judgment. أَفَرَأَيْتَ الَّذِي كَفَرَ بِآيَاتِنَا وَقَالَ لَأُوتَيَنَّ مَالًا وَوَلَدًا Have you seen him who rejects our signs, meaning Al-Awsi ibn Wa'il, and says, I will certainly be given wealth and children there. He said this to Khabbab ibn Al-Arat. When Khabbab asked him for the money he was owed, he told him he will be resurrected after death. Al-Awsi replied, if I am resurrected, I will be given wealth and children and will pay you then. And that is an authentic narration in Sahih al-Bukhari, the hadith of Khabbab ibn Al-Arat radiyallahu that he asked this man for his money back and he said no. He said, so I will see you on the Day of Judgment. He said, if there is a Day of Judgment, I will have more then. And that is when I will pay you back. 
اطلع الغيب ام اتخذ عند الرحمن عهدا has he surveyed the unseen meaning has he been informed of the unseen and that he will be given what he says or has he a contract with the all merciful that he will be given that كلا no indeed he will not be given that سنكتب ما يقول ونمد له من العذاب مدا we will give the command to write down what he says and prolong the punishment for him he will have an increased punishment on account of that another punishment in addition to the one he will receive for his unbelief ونرثه ما يقول ويأتينا فردا we will inherit from him the things he is talking about meaning his wealth and children and he will come to us all alone on the day of rising without either wealth or children واتخذوا من دون الله آلهة ليكونوا لهم عزا they meaning the unbelievers of Mecca have taken other gods besides Allah the idols which they worship to be a source of power and strength for them to act as their intercessors with Allah so that they will not be punished كلا no indeed nothing can prevent their punishment سيكفرون بعبادتهم ويكونون عليهم ضدا they will reject their worship and will be opposed to them meaning either that they will join forces against them or that they will be enemies to them the deities they worshiped will deny their worship as in another ayah it was not us they were worshiping alam tara anna arsalna ash-shayatina 'ala al-kafirina ta'uzzuhum azza do you not see that we send the shaytans with authority against those who disbelieve to goad them on to commit acts of disobedience fala ta'jal 'alayhim so do not try to hasten their punishment إِنَّمَا نَعُدُّ لَهُمْ عَدَّا We are simply counting out the number of their days, days and nights. Or it may mean their breaths until the moment when they are punished. يَوْمَ نَحْشُرُ الْمُتَّقِينَ إِلَى الرَّحْمَانِ وَفْدَا On that day we will gather those who are God-fearing because of their faith to the All-Merciful with due ceremony. وَنَسُوقُ الْمُدْرِمِينَ إِلَى جَهَنَّمَ وِرْدَا but we will drive the evil doers to hell because of their unbelief like cattle to a watering hole the word with used here is a plural of warid which means someone who walks in extreme thirst la yamlikuna ash-shafa'ata illa man ittakhadha 'inda ar-rahmani 'ahda they meaning mankind in general have no right of intercession none do but those who have a contract with the all merciful unless they have made a contract based on the formula la ilaha illa allah wala hawla wala quwwata illa billah there is no god but allah and there is no power nor strength except by allah wa qalu ittakhadha ar-rahmanu walada they say the all merciful has a child a reference to the jews and the christians and those who claim that the angels are the daughters of allah then allah said to them laqad jittum shay'an idda they have devised a very monstrous thing takadu as-samawatu yatafattarna minhu wa tanshaqu al-ardu wa takhirru al-jibalu hadda the heavens are all but red as takadu and yakadu rent apart red as yatafattarna and yanfathirna and the earth split open and the mountains brought crashing down on account of the horrendous nature of what they say the ascription of a son to the all merciful then allah says wama yanbaghi lirrahman an yattakhidha walada it is not fitting or appropriate for the all merciful to have a child and in all of these verses 88 91 92 as we mentioned before it is the word walad is child but obviously the context here is more towards the christian so it is possible to say that it's referring to son but then it also includes the angels and that is why Uh, Al-Mahalli in his tafsir in verse 88 says all those who claim that the angels are the daughters of Allah that is because as we said the word walad includes both male and female children
There is no one in the heavens and earth who will not come to the All-Merciful as a slave, submissive and humble on the day of rising, including Uzaid and Isa. He has counted them and numbered them precisely. Nothing is hidden from him, neither their total number nor each one of them individually. Each of them will come to him on the day of rising all alone, without property or any helper to defend him. As for those who believe and do right actions, the All-Merciful will bestow his love on them, both between them so that they love one another and also his love for them directly. In verse 96, this is mentioned in the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu al-Bukhari al-Muslim that the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wasallam that if Allah loves someone, he calls out to Jibreel and he says, Oh Jibreel, I love so and so, so love him. So Jibreel loves him. And then Jibreel calls out to the angels of the heaven and says, Indeed Allah loves so and so, so love him. So the angels love that person. And when the angels love them, that is when Allah azawajal causes acceptance to be written for that person on the face of the earth. فَإِنَّمَا يَسَّرْنَاهُ بِلِسَارِكَ لِتُبَشِّرَ بِهِ الْمُتَّقِينَ وَتُنْذِرَ بِهِ قَوْمًا لُدَّا We have made it, meaning the Qur'an, easy on your Arabic tongue, so that you made your good news to those who are God-fearing, meaning those who have one faith, and warn stubbornly hostile people by it, those who are stubborn in arguing by adducing falsehood. These are the unbelievers of Mecca. وَكَمْ أَهْلَكْنَا قَبْلَهُمْ مِنْ قَوْمٍ how many generations of previous nations we have destroyed before them for denying the messengers? Do you see a trace of any one of them or hear even a whisper of them? No. Just as we destroyed them, so we will also destroy these. Surah Taha. This surah is Meccan except for ayat 120 and 121, which are Medinan. It has 135 ayat and was sent down after Maryam. So Surah Taha, the 20th Surah of the Qur'an, is a Makki Surah according to the majority of the scholars of Islam, or Tafsir, Ibn Kathir, and to the extent that Al-Qurtubi said by Ijma' by consensus, it is a Makki Surah. No. And it has, uh, it has 135 verses. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. And, sorry, also before Ismail begins his recitation, one of the common misconceptions concerning Taha is that it is a name from the names of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And that is an incorrect understanding of this surah or the word or the statement Taha. It is not from the names of the Prophet, not that is mentioned in any authentic hadith anyway. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Taha. Allah knows best what is meant by that. We did not send down the Quran to you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to make you miserable, to cause him to tire himself out by what he does after it has been revealed, by the length of time he spends standing in prayer during the night. The implication is that he should be easier on himself. But we only sent it down as a reminder for those who are fearful of Allah. A revelation from him who created the earth and the high heavens. The All-Merciful, established firmly upon the throne. In the Arabic language, the word Arsh, throne, signifies the seat of authority. The way that the establishing took place is in a way that is appropriate for Allah. Al-Mahali, rahimahullah, in his tafsir, mentions that Allah is above his throne in a manner which befits his majesty. And I don't know why the translators went through all of this 
very long-winded translation. The Arsh is the throne of Allah. And it doesn't just signify a seal of authority, it is the actual throne of Allah Azza wa And Allah is above it in a manner which befits His majesty. Not established, but He is above it subhanahu wa ta'ala in a manner which befits His majesty. And we've mentioned this numerous times. لَهُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا وَمَا تَحْتَ الثَّرَى Everything in the heavens and everything on the earth and everything in between them and everything under the ground belongs to him. The word for ground, thara, means a moist soil on the earth's surface and the everything referred to here is the seven earths because they are what is under it. وَإِن تَجْهَرْ بِالْقَوْلِ فَإِنَّهُ يَعْلَمُ السِّرَّ وَأَخْفَى Though you speak out loud in dhikr or, supplica- or supplication to Allah, He knows your secrets and has no need for, for audible vocalization of your desires and what is even more concealed. He knows what the self says and the thoughts which occur to it but are not spoken. So there is no need to make an effort to do it aloud. In verse 7, Allah says that He knows as-sirra wa-akhfa what is hidden and what is even more concealed than what is hidden. The scholars have two approaches as to what this means. The first approach is that the secret being referred to is what a person says in secret to another person. And what is more concealed is what you say to yourself, meaning the thoughts and whisperings that you have within yourself. That is one position. The second position is that the sir, the secret, is what you think to yourself. And what is more concealed than that is what you don't even know that you are going to do yet. Allah already knows what you are going to think and say to yourself and then do. So Allah knows those secrets and Allah knows more than that meaning that which is hasn't even come to your mind as of yet. Allahu la ilaha illa huwa lahu al-asma'ul husna. Allah there is no god but him. The most beautiful names are his. He has the 99 names reported in the hadith mentioned above in the commentary on 17:110. And obviously al-Mahalli rahimahullah doesn't mention in the commentary of 17:110 because he didn't do the commentary of 17:110. It is a suyuti, so that is an addition from the translator. But he does mention, as mentioned in the hadith of the 99 names, which we read yesterday in a very long detail, we said that, that is a weak narration, that particular narration of a tirmidhi. Has the story of Musa not reached you? إِذْ رَآ نَارًا فَقَالَ لِأَهْلِهِمْ كُثُوا إِنِّي آنَسْتُ نَارًا When he saw a fire and said to his family, meaning his wife, while he was travelling from Median towards Egypt, wait here, I can make out a fire. لَعَلِّي آتِيكُمْ مِنْهَا بِقَبَسٍ أَوْ أَجِدُ عَلَى النَّارِ هُدَى Maybe I will bring you a brand from it. Meaning, go and light the end of a branch or stick, or we'll find guidance there. To direct him on the path he wished to follow. He had become lost because he was travelling at night. He says maybe because he was not certain that he would be able to fulfill that promise. So this surah, now Allah Azza wa Jal, very much at the beginning starts with the story of Musa alayhi salam and much of this surah will be dedicated to the story of this Prophet Musa alayhi salam and there will be things mentioned in it that are not mentioned elsewhere in the Quran concerning his story. To the extent that it is mentioned in some of the books of tafsir that one of the names of this surah is the, the name Al-Kaleem. Al-Kaleem. And another name is that the name of the surah is Surah Musa. But those two names are not found in many books of tafsir, just in some of them. But the name of the surah that is well known is Surah Taha. And as we said yesterday, Surah Isra, Kahf, Maryam, Taha, Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said that they are from the early revelations. Then, when he reached it, the box thorn bush from which the fire was coming, a voice called out, Musa. Inni ana rabbuka fakhla'na alayk I am read as inni ana and inna ana 
What it means is Inni ana o anni ana Inni ana o anni ana The use of the preposition ana, I, here when it is also included in the previous word is to give great stress to it I am your Lord, take off your sandals You are in the holy, meaning pure or blessed, valley of Qua. I have chosen you from your people, so listen well to what is revealed by me. I am Allah, there is no God but me, so worship me and establish the prayer to remember me. The hour is coming, but I have concealed it from people, even though its proximity will be indicated by certain signs, so that every self may be repaid for its efforts, both good and evil. In verse 15, <coughs> another understanding of this verse, The hour is coming, but I have concealed it. Al-Mahalli chooses the tafsir from people, concealed it from people. But another tafsir is mentioned by Ibn Abbas and Qatada, rahimahumullah, radiyallahu anhum and others, and is mentioned by Tabari and Muhammad al-Amin and many others, is indeed I have made the hour concealed even from myself nearly. Akadu nearly from myself. Meaning that it is so hidden that Allah Azza wa is saying that I almost made it hidden from myself. Showing that no one knows when the hour will come except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَلَا يَصُدَّنَّكَ عَنْهَا مَنْ لَا يُؤْمِنُ بِهَا وَاتَّبَعَ هَوَاهُ فَتَرْدَى Do not let those who, who not believe in it and follow their whims and desires debar you from it, meaning divert you from believing in it, or you will be destroyed. If you are to be turned from belief, then you will certainly be destroyed. وَمَا تِلْكَ بِيَمِينِكَ يَا مُوسَى What is that in your right hand, Musa? This question is one by which confirmation of it is intended, since the staff was miraculous. قَالَ هِيَ عَصَايَ أَتَوَكَّأُ عَلَيْهَا وَأَهُشُّ بِهَا عَلَىٰ غَنَمِي He said, it is my staff. I lean on it when getting up and walking, and I use it to beat down leaves from trees for my sheep to eat with it. وَلِيَ فِيهَا مَآلِبُ أُخْرَىٰ And I have other uses for it. Other uses might be things like carrying provisions and water or driving away vermin. In verse 18, وَأَهُشُّ بِهَا عَلَىٰ غَنَمِي Beat down leaves for my sheep to eat. Uh, or I use it to... Uh, to shepherd my sheep. I use it as a stick to shepherd my sheep. Yeah. He said, throw it down, Musa. He threw it down and suddenly it was a slithering snake. It became a huge snake which moved as swiftly on its belly as small snakes usually do. In verse 20, Al-Mahalli ta'ala brings the three different descriptions that Allah mentions concerning the snake into one sentence and we covered this in one of the questions before Hayya, Thu'ban, Thu'ban and Jan a snake, a huge snake and one that moves swiftly He said, take hold of it and have no fear We will return it to its original form Musa put his hand in his mouth and it reverted to being a staff. It is clear that the place where he placed his hand was the grip between the truncated forked branches at the end of the staff. Musa was shown that so that he would not be alarmed when it turned into a snake in the presence of Pharaoh. 
put the palm of your right hand put the palm of your right hand under your left arm under the armpit and press it to your side then bring it out it will emerge pure white not its normal dark color yet quite unharmed the change to white was not due to leprosy and it shone like the rays of the sun dazzling the eyes ayatan ukhra another sign in this way, we show you, when you do that, some of our greatest signs which reinforce your message. When he wanted it to revert to its original state, he put it under his arm again and then brought it out. Allah mentions this in a number of places in the Quran that from the signs that Allah gave to him was to place his arm by his side. And some of the scholars say so that was to, uh, that was to reinforce himself, to give him further strength. So that in times of fear, Allah said to him, put your arm by your side. And then that would reinforce you and give you further strength. Because when he would stand in front of Pharaoh, it would be a time or a position of fear. Because of Pharaoh's tyranny and his oppression. And he's alone with his brother against all of Pharaoh and his armies and his court. So this was a means of him remaining steadfast. And Allah knows best. Go as a messenger to Pharaoh and those with him. He has overstepped the bounds in his unbelief by claiming to be a god. He said, O Lord, expand my breast for me and make it ample enough to bear the message. And make my task in conveying your message easy for me. Loosen the knot in my tongue, which he had acquired by burning it with a hot coal he had put in his mouth when he was a child. So that they will understand my words when I, when I convey the message. This dua of Musa is a very well-known and famous dua. In verse 27, Loosen the knot in my tongue. Because Musa had a speech impediment. And that is mentioned elsewhere in the Quran. That he had a speech impediment. He had a stutter. And so he says, Oh Allah, loosen the tongue, not for my tongue, so that I can convey your message. And this story is one that is famously mentioned in the books of Tafsir, but I don't know of an authentic chain of narration for it. And that is that when Musa was a child and was first presented to Pharaoh and he sat on his lap, he yanked the beard of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was someone who was a tyrant, and if someone harmed him even less than that, he would kill them. So people feared that that's it, it's the end of Musa's life. But instead of Pharaoh did nothing. And then he presented him with a hot coal and with something which was sweet and told him to choose as a child, as a baby. And Musa chooses the hot coal and puts it in his mouth. And so he knew, it is said in the narration, Musa or Pharaoh knew at the time that this is most likely the child that's going to be the end of me because of this description. That is not an authentic hadith to the best of my knowledge and it seems like a Israelite tradition and Allah Azza knows best. But what is correct is that he had a speech impediment. And what is the position of the scholars of Tafsir is that he doesn't ask for the speech impediment to be removed completely, but only for it to be loosened so that he can be understood. And that is why also in the Quran, when Pharaoh speaks to him, he says, Am I not better than this one who is lowly and can barely express himself? And that is why Musa asks for Harun to be a fellow prophet with him. So he doesn't ask for the speech impediment to be cured, but that it be lessened so that his speech can be understood and Allah knows best. Yeah. Assign me a helper from my family to help me in my mission. My brother Harun. Strengthen my back by him. 
and let him share in my task, meaning delivering the message. And as we know from other parts of the Quran, that Musa السلام, from the du'as that he makes is that he asks Allah to assign his brother, who is older than him, Harun, as a fellow prophet. It is said that Aisha radiallahu anha came out one day and she said to the people that were gathered around her, which brother was most beneficial to their brother? And people had different responses and different things that they said. Until a man stood up and he said, O mother of the believers, Musa was the most beneficial brother to his brother. Because he asked for his brother to be elevated to the highest of positions and that is the position of prophethood. So Aisha radiallahu anha agreed. So that we may glorify you much. And remember you much. For you are watching us. You know and see us and have blessed us with the message. He said, your request has been granted Musa. We were gracious to you another time. When we revealed to your mother in a dream or by inspiration, when she bore him and feared that Pharaoh would kill him with the children he was killing. Place him in the box and throw it into the sea, meaning the Nile, and the sea will wash it up on the shore, where an enemy of mine and his will pick it up. I showered you with love from me, so that people will love you and Pharaoh and everyone who sees you will love you. So that you would be brought up under my supervision, in my care and with my protection. In verse 13, Allah says, Throw him into the sea, which is the literal translation. And clearly the mother of Musa doesn't throw her child into the sea. But this is from the eloquence of the Qur'an to show that even had she thrown him, cast him away, cared for him in nothing and just chucked him into the river, Allah with his divine care and protection would have kept him safe. And it is to show that Allah had protected him, no matter what the river Nile with all of its force, and it is the mightiest river on earth would do, or where it would end up, which is the palace of Pharaoh, Allah would save and protect him. And that is why two things are mentioned concerning Musa السلام. The first has come, Allah says, I chose you, meaning made you special. And the second is what is mentioned at the end of this verse, that you will be brought up under my supervision. And the word sun'a, means to manufacture, to produce, that you would be produced under my supervision because that is what happened when Allah gives someone his divine aid and care and protection that no one and nothing in the heavens and the earth can harm them. When your sister Maryam went to learn what had happened to you and wet nurses had been summoned but you would not accept the breast of any of them she said, shall I direct you to someone who will take care of him? His sister made her suggestion, which was accepted, and she brought his mother, and he accepted her breast. And That was how he returned you to your mother, so that she might delight her eyes at finding you and not be grieved. You killed a man, meaning the Copt in Egypt, and you were upset at what, at what, what might happen from Pharaoh. And we rescued you from trouble and tested you with many trials, meaning other things from which we saved you. 
You stayed some 10 years among the people of Madian after you went there from Egypt and stayed with the Prophet Shu'aib and married his daughter. Then you arrived at the preordained time for the message which we knew would come, Musa. That was when he was 40 years old. And what is mentioned in verse 40, much of this will come later on in greater detail in Surah Al-Qasas. And so we will speak about these different issues there in more detail. But very quickly, just on the one point of the people of Madian and that he stayed with the Prophet Shu'ib that is one position amongst the scholars of Tafsir, but it is the weaker position. But because we are a bit short of time, we will, inshallah, discuss that in more detail in the Tafsir of Surah Al-Qasas, when the story of Musa is again mentioned in great detail. I have chosen you for myself, for conveying my message. اذهب أنت وأخوك بآيات ولا تنيا في ذكري Go, you and your brother, to the people with my nine signs and do not slacken in remembering me by glorification of me and in other ways. اذهب إلى فرعون إنه طغى Go to Pharaoh. He has overstepped the bounds by claiming divinity. فقولا له قولا لينا لعله يتذكر أو يخشى But speak to him with gentle words in answering him so that perhaps you'll pay heed or show some fear and therefore revert. Both hopes are mentioned although Allah knew of course that Pharaoh would never would not revert. And that is because in verse 44 that is from the greatest means of giving da'wah and from the greatest etiquette that you show gentleness in the way that you call people. Despite Pharaoh's tyranny and oppression and the evil that he committed, Allah commands his two prophets to speak to him initially in terms that are gentle. They said, Our Lord, we are afraid that He might persecute us and hasten to punish us or overstep the bounds with arrogance towards us. He said, Have no fear, I will be with you with my help, all hearing of what He says and all seeing of what He does. Go to him and say, We are your Lord's messengers. So send the tribe of Israel away with us to Syria and do not punish them. Do not continue to force them to do your wondrous tasks like digging, building, and carrying heavy loads. We have brought you a sign, meaning evidence from your Lord, that we are speaking the truth regarding the message. Peace be upon those who follow the guidance. They alone will be safe from punishment. In verse 47, this last part of the verse was Salamu ala man al-huda. Peace be upon those who follow the guidance. Was often the verse that the Prophet would use when he would write his letters and address them to the different leaders of the world. When he would send his emissaries and he would send those letters with them, he would often begin them by saying Assalamu ala man al-huda. Peace be upon those who follow guidance. It has been revealed to us that punishment is for him who denies the truth, which we have brought and turns away. The two of them went to Pharaoh and said all of these things. Pharaoh said, Who then is your Lord, Musa? He confined himself to asking this because it is the main issue. And then he pointed out to him how he himself had brought him up. He, meaning Musa, said, Our Lord is He who gives each thing its created form, distinct from every other, and then guides it. Guides the animals among them to their food, drink, procreation, and other things. 
قال فما بال القرون الاولى he meaning pharaoh said what about the previous generations such as the people of nuh hud lut and salih with their worship of idols قال علمها عند ربي في كتاب he meaning musa said knowledge of them meaning their state is kept with my lord in a book meaning the preserved tablet he will repay them accordingly on the day of rising لا يضل ربي ولا ينسى my lord does not misplace nor does he forget meaning nothing is hidden from him and he does not forget anything الذي جعل لكم الارض مهدا وسلك لكم فيها سبلا it is he who, had, who made the earth a cradle for you and threaded pathways for you through it to make it easy for you to travel وانزل من السماء ماء فاخرجنا به ازواجا من نبات شتى and sent down water as rain from the sky by which we have brought forth various different types of plants Allah says this to complete his description of Musa and also addresses the people of Mecca mentioning that the rain brings forth different types of plants which vary in color taste and other things verses 53 to 56 as al-Mahalli rahimahullah ta'ala mentions in his commentary the address changes it is not Musa alayhi salam speaking anymore but rather Allah azza wa jalla speaking so it changes from the context of Musa addressing Pharaoh to Allah azza wa jalla interjecting these verses concerning his power subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is not just the position of al-Mahalli but of Imam al-Tabari Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti and others rahimahumullah kulū war'aw an'amakum eat from these plants and pasture your livestock among them the arabic word for livestock an'am includes camels cattle and sheep and gives the sense of something being allowed inna fi dhālika la'āyātin li'ulinnuha certainly there are signs in that for people of sound intellect the word for intellect nuha is a plural of nuhiya so called because it prevents yanha a person from committing ugly actions منها خلقناكم وفيها نعيدكم ومنها نخرجكم تارة أخرى from it meaning the earth we created you by the creation of your ancestor Adam to it we will return you by burial after death and from it we will bring you forth a second time by the resurrection just as we brought you forth the first time when we created you وَلَقَدْ أَرَيْنَاهُ آيَاتِنَا كُلَّهَا فَكَذَّبَ وَأَبَى We showed him, meaning Pharaoh, all of our nine signs. But he denied them and spurned them and claimed that it was all magic and refused to declare that Allah is one. قَالَ أَجِئْتَنَا لِتُخْرِجَنَا مِنْ أَرْضِنَا بِسِحْرِكَ يَا مُوسَى He said, have you come to us to expel us from our land, meaning Egypt, and to be the king in it by means of your magic, Musa. فَلَنَأْتِيَنَّكَ بِسِحْرٍ مِثْلِهِ we will bring you magic to match it fajal baynana wa baynaka mawidan la nukhlifuhu nahnu wala anta makanan suwa so fix a time between us and you which neither we nor you will fail to keep at a place where we can meet halfway read as suwa and siwa meaning a place which is the same distance from each of the two parties qala mawidukum yawm az-zina he meaning musa said your time is the day of the festival the day of the eid during which they dressed up and gathered together the people of Egypt should gather in the late morning to see what would happen in verses 58 and 59 Pharaoh asks Musa alayhi salam for a time or place and Musa alayhi salam responds by giving him a time and a place and this was often the methodology of the prophets that they would be asked a question and they would often respond in a way that is more complete than what the question is asking and among the scholars of tafsir this is the time frame that is not the next day or even the next few days but rather it is some time ahead the day of eid that is coming a few months ahead and so during that time what pharaoh is doing is he's gathering the best magicians of the land 
and bringing them towards Egypt because in those days that takes time riders have to go out and find them they have to get ready and they have to travel and some are further afield and some are closer and so that is a period of time so it's not just today they meet and tomorrow they have the duel with the magicians it is something which takes time and Allah knows best so Pharaoh went away and concocted a scheme together with the magicians and then he arrived at the appointed time. Musa said to them, There were 72 of them, each of whom had a rope and staff. Woe to you, Allah will punish you. Do not fabricate lies against Allah by associating anyone with Him, or He will annihilate. Read as, Yushitakum and Yashatakum. He will annihilate you with His punishment and destroy you. Fabricators of lies against Allah are bound to fail. They argued among themselves about the matter, meaning about Musa and his brother, and had a secret conference concerning them. They said among themselves, these read as Hadani and Hadini. These two magicians, meaning Musa and his brother, desire by their magic to expel you from your land and abolish your most excellent way of life. So decide. Read as So decide on your scheme to use magic and then arrive together in force, meaning in ranks. وَقَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْيَوْمَ مَنِ He who gains the upper hand today and is victorious will definitely prosper. قَالُوا يَا مُوسَىٰ إِمَّا أَن تُلْقِيَ وَإِمَّا أَن نَكُونَ أَوَّلَ مَنْ أَلْقَىٰ They said, Musa, choose. Will you throw your stuff first or shall we be the first to throw? قَالَ بَلْ أَلْقُوا He said, no, you throw. فَإِذَا حِبَالُهُمْ وَعِصِيُّهُمْ يُخَيَّلُ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ سِحْرِهِمْ أَنَّهَا تَسْعَىٰ they threw, and suddenly their ropes and staffs appeared to him, by their magic to be snakes slithering about. Musa experienced in himself a feeling of alarm, because their magic appeared to be similar to his miracle, and so it might confuse people and they would not believe him. We said to him, have no fear. You will have the upper hand. Throw down what is in your right hand, meaning your staff. It will swallow up their handiwork. Their handiwork is just a magician's trick. Magicians do not prosper wherever they go. Musa threw down his staff and it swallowed up what they had produced. The magicians threw themselves down in prostration to Allah. They said, we believe in the Lord of Harun and Musa. Pharaoh said, do you believe in him before I have authorized you? He is your your chief, the one who taught you magic. I will cut off your hands and feet alternately, meaning your right hands and left feet, and have you crucified on palm trunks. 
Then you will know for certain which of us, meaning him or the Lord of Musa, has the harsher and longer lasting punishment. قَالُوا لَن نُؤْثِرَكَ عَلَى مَا جَاءَنَا مِنَ الْبَيِّنَاتِ وَالَّذِي فَطَرَنَا They said, we will never prefer you to, and choose you over, the clear signs which have come to us, which show the truthfulness of Musa, nor to him who brought us into being. فَقُضِّمَا أَنْتَقَامُ Decide on any judgment you like, meaning do what you said you would do. إِنَّمَا تَقُضِي هَذِهِ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا Your jurisdiction only covers the life of this world. إنه من يأتي ربه مجرما فإن له جهل إنا آمنا إنا آمنا بربنا ليغفر لنا خطايانا وما أكرهتنا عليه من السحر We have put our faith in our Lord so that he may forgive us for our mistakes in committing shirk and other things and for the magic which you forced us to perform to learn and to do and do to oppose Musa وَاللَّهُ Allah is better in terms of reward than you are and longer lasting in terms of punishment. The scholars of Tafsir <coughs> differ as to what happened with these magicians after they believe in Allah and they prostrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and say we believe in the Lord of Musa and Harun and then Pharaoh threatens them with this punishment and they say what they say that has been mentioned here and has been mentioned elsewhere in the Quran as well. But they say that we believe in our Lord and there is nothing that you can do to force us to change our minds. Did Pharaoh go ahead and punish them with his threats? Did he enact his threats by cutting off their alternate hands and feet and crucifying them? Or did Allah save them? Two positions amongst the scholars of tafsir. Some say that they were crucified and therefore they became martyrs. And others from amongst them, and I think if I remember correctly, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin rahimahullah supported this position, that they were saved. Because they were from the believers And Allah Azza wa says that he saved the believers From the people of Musa That Allah Azza wa saved them And Pharaoh wasn't able to follow through with his threats But instead they left They left and they escaped from his court And Allah Azza wa knows best Allah says as for those who come to their Lord as evildoers Unbelievers like Pharaoh, they will have hell, where they will neither die so that they have rest, nor stay alive, so they can benefit. But as for those who come to him as believers, having done right actions, both obligatory and supererogatory ones, they will have the highest ranks. Gardens of Eden, where they will abide with rivers flowing under them, remaining in them timelessly forever. That is a reward of those who purify themselves of wrong actions. We reveal to Musa, travel, read as, an asri, an anisri. An Asri and An Asri. Travel with my slaves by night out of the land of Egypt. Strike a dry path for them with your staff through the sea. Musa obeyed the command and Allah made the land dry for him and so they crossed on it. Have no fear of being overtaken by Pharaoh and do not be afraid of drowning. Then 
Pharaoh pursued them with his troops, and the sea overwhelmed them utterly and drowned them. Pharaoh misguided his people by calling on them to worship him. He was no guide, but rather caused them to fall into destruction, which was the opposite of his words. I only guide you to the path of rectitude. And that is because Pharaoh in the Quran, as Allah mentions of him, claims that he will only guide his people. I will only guide you to the correct path. But instead Allah says what he actually did is he misguided them. As Allah mentions in the other verse in the Quran, وَمَا أَمْرُ فِرْعَوْنَ بِرَشِيدٍ يَا بَنِي إِسْرَائِينَ قَدْ أَنْجَيْنَاكُمْ مِنْ عَدُوِّكُمْ وَوَاعَدْنَاكُمْ جَانِبَ الطُّورِ الْأَيْمَنَ وَنَزَّلْنَا عَلَيْكُمُ الْمَنَّ وَالسَّلْوَى Tribe of Israel, we rescued you from your enemy, meaning Pharaoh, by drowning him, and made an appointment with you on the, on the right-hand side of the mount, where Musa was given the Torah, so that it might serve as basis for action, and sent down manna and quails for you. This ayah was addressed to those Jews who were present at the time of the Prophet ﷺ and were being addressed regarding the blessings which were bestowed on their ancestors in the time of the Prophet Musa. This is a prelude to the following ayah. And we know from the authentic hadith in Al-Bukhari that when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina, he found the Jewish community of Medina fasting a day known as the day of Ashura. And so he asked them, why do you fast this day? They said, because this is the day that Allah saved the Prophet Musa and his people from Pharaoh. So the Prophet said, وسلم, we have more right to this. And that is when the Prophet recommended the fasting of this day and said that whoever fasts it will have the sins of the previous year expiated. And it is the day of the 10th of Muharram. Each of the good things we have provided for you as blessings. But do not go to excess in it by being ungrateful for your blessings, or my anger will be unleashed. Read as, and yahlulu. Or my anger will be unleashed on you. Anyone who has my anger unleashed, read as, and yahlil, on him has plunged to his ruin, meaning into the fire. وَإِنِّي لَغَفَّارٌ لِمَنْ تَابَ وَآمَنَ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا ثُمَّ اهْتَدَى But I am ever forgiving to anyone who repents of committing shirk and believes by affirming Allah's unity and acts rightly by being sincere in obligatory and supererogatory acts and then is guided by continuing to act in the way that has been mentioned until he dies. وَمَا أَعْجَلَكَ عَنْ قَوْمِكَ يَا مُوسَى Why have you hurried on ahead of your people Musa to come to the meeting to receive the Torah? He said, they are following in my tracks, meaning coming along close behind me. I have hurried on ahead to you, my Lord, to gain more of your good pleasure. The reply was accepted because the excuse showed his good opinion of Allah. He, meaning Allah said, we tried your people after you left them. And the Samiri has guided them to, into worshipping the calf. Allah mentions this part of the story. And that is that Musa السلام, goes to speak to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from that which Allah mentions to him. And, and this story has been mentioned elsewhere but not in so much detail in the Quran. And that is that the Samiri who is one from the people of Musa. And he had a position of leadership amongst them in the time of Pharaoh. He misguided his people and he built a calf from which he gathered their jewelry and their gold and their silver and he constructed a calf and he said that this is the God that you should worship 
besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah tells Musa alayhi salam, in your absence your people have committed shirk. فَرَجَعَ مُوسَىٰ إِلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ غَبَّانَ أَسِفَىٰ Musa returned to his people in anger and great sorrow. قَالَ يَا قَوْمِ أَلَمْ يَعِدُكُمْ رَبُّكُمْ وَعْدًا حَسَنًا He said, my people, did not your Lord make you a handsome promise to give you the Torah? أَفَطَالَ عَلَيْكُمُ الْعَهْدُ أَمْ أَرَدْتُمْ أَنْ يَحِلَّ عَلَيْكُمْ غَضَبٌ مِّنْ رَبِّكُمْ فَأَخْلَفْتُمْ مَوْعِدِي did the fulfillment of the contract seem too long to you? A reference to the time Musa was away, away from them. Or did you want to unleash your Lord's anger upon yourself? Did you want Allah to be wrathful towards you for worshipping the calf? So you broke your promise to me and did not follow me? They said, we did not break our promise to you of our own volition. Read, read as, milk, milk and mulk. Meaning that they did not do it by their own power or from themselves. But we were weighed down, read as Hummilna and Hamalna, with the heavy loads of the people's jewelry. The jewelry of the people of Pharaoh, which the tribe of Israel had borrowed from them for a wedding and which was still in their possession. And we threw them in, meaning into the fire, as the Samiri commanded. For that it for that is what the Samiri did. The Samiri told them to throw it in, just as he was throwing in the jewelry which he had. And also some of the earth he had taken from the footprints of Jibreel's horses, as will be explained. In verse 87, as we mentioned before, when this narration or this verse was mentioned in the previous surah, none of these narrations are from Israelite traditions and Allah Azza knows best about their authenticity. But the author, Ta'ala, at the beginning of verse 87, mentions a different qira'at concerning the verse uh, Bimalkina. Bimalkina, bimilkina, bimulkina. And both, all three of them are correct recitations. Bimalkina means our ability, meaning we do not break our promise to you of our own accord. It was beyond our ability, meaning we were forced to do so. Bimulkina, by our command, meaning that we were commanded to do so. And bimilkina means by our possession, meaning that we were possessed in doing so. Then he produced a calf for them from the jewelry, a physical form of flesh and blood, which made a lowing sound, a sound that could be heard. It was transformed because of the earth from the angel's footprints, which produces life in anything in which it is placed. After it was made, he put the dust in its mouth. So they, meaning the Samiri and his followers, said, This is your God, and Musa's God as well. But he, meaning Musa, forgot his Lord and went to look for it. Allah said, Could they not see that it, meaning the calf, did not reply to them, and that it possessed no power to either harm or benefit them? It had no power to do anything. So why did they take it as a God? وَلَقَدْ قَالَ لَهُمْ هَارُونُ مِنْ قَبْلُ يَا قَوْمِ إِنَّمَا فُتِنْتُمْ بِهِ Harun had earlier said to them, before Musa returned, My people, it is just a trial for you. وَإِنَّ رَبَّكُمُ الرَّحْمَانُ فَاتَّبِعُونِي وَأَطِيعُوا أَمْرِي Your Lord is the All-Merciful, so follow me in worshipping Allah and obey my command. قَالُوا يَا هَارُونُ مَا مَنْ قَالُوا لَنَّبْرَحَ قَالُوا لَنْ نَبْرَحَ عَلَيْهِ عَاكِفِينَ حَتَّى يَرْجِعَ إِلَيْنَا مُوسَىٰ They said we will not stop devoting ourselves to it and worshipping it until Musa returns to us. 
قال يا هارون ما منعك إذ رأيتهم ضلوا he, Musa said, when he returned, what prevented you following me, Harun, when you saw that they had gone astray by worshipping the calf? Did you too then disobey my command by staying among those who worship something other than Allah? The la in this sentence is redundant. This uh, is something which you find commonly in the Arabic in the tafsir of Jalalain by both the Siyuti and by Al-Mahalli, alayhima rahmatullah. And that is that they often consider certain letters in the Qur'an and even certain short words to be uh, extra, ziyada. They say that it is a ziyada. And the position of the scholars of tafsir generally is that there is nothing extra or redundant in the Qur'an. But everything that is mentioned in the Qur'an has a purpose. So he says the lamb here is redundant. That it should be, Allah, did you not stop them? Allah, tattabi'ani, did you not obey my command, it should be did you, why didn't you obey, obey my command, and there is a difference between the two, because Allah with the lamb is more forceful in the way that it is a rebuke the lamb there is to be more forceful in the rebuke that Musa salam, is issuing to his brother, so it is not redundant or extra, and usually the translators, because this is quite often in the tafsir of Jalalain, but usually the translators don't really mention what the two, two Jalal say concerning what they consider to be extra in terms of grammatical form and what have you. But on this occasion they have done so. He, Harun said, son of my mother, read as, Yabna Ummi and Yabna Umma. He mentioned this to soften, to soften Musa's heart, as he had grabbed his hair in his right hand in anger. Do not seize me by the beard or by the hair. إِنِّي خَشِيتُ أَن تَقُولَ فَرَّقْتَ بَيْنَ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ وَلَمْ تَرْقُبَ قَوْلِي I was afraid that if I had followed you, then all who did not worship the calf would have followed me as well. And you would say in anger at me, you have caused division in the tribe of Israel and taken no notice of anything I said. قَالَ فَمَا خَطَبُكَ يَا سَامِرِي He said, what do you think you were doing, Samiri? Why were, call- why were you calling people to this? قَالَ بَصُرْتُ بِمَا لَمْ he said, I saw what they did not see. Read as, Yabsuru and Tabsuru, you did not see. Meaning, I knew what they did not know. So I gathered up a handful of earth from the messenger's footprints, meaning from the tracks left by the hooves of Jibreel's horse, and threw it in it, into the manufactured calf. That is what my inner self urged me to do. That was what his self made seem attractive to him. To take the handful of earth and throw it into something which had no spirit, so that it would have a spirit. He said, I saw your people ask you to make a god for them, and so myself told me to make the calf as a god for them. In verse 96, So I gathered up a handful of the messenger's footprints. That's the literal translation given. But it can also mean that I have followed the footsteps of a prophet. Meaning that I have received prophethood like you have. I have received some type of revelation that you did not have. And that is what he is claiming by saying that that is why I built this God. You didn't know this part. This is something which I knew. And Allah knows best. He, meaning Musa, said to him, Go from us. In this world, for as long as you live, you will have to say to whomever you meet, untouchable. Meaning, do not come near me. He wandered in the desert and if anyone touched him or he touched anyone, they came down with a fever. And you have an appointment with your punishment, which will not fail to keep. Read as, تُخْلَفُ and تُخْلِفَهُ 
Look at your God to which you devoted so much time. We will burn it up with fire and then scatter it as dust into the air above the sea. Musa did that after he slaughtered it. In verse 97 at the end, the author al-Mahalli says Musa did that after he slaughtered it. But the position amongst the scholars of Tafsir is that he didn't slaughter it. Firstly, it's not alive to slaughter. Secondly, it's made of jewels and gold. So how does he even slaughter it? But what is the correct position amongst them is what is mentioned in the verse that it is turned, burned, so that it is melted, and then its remnants are thrown into the river. So there is no slaughtering that is required or needed. إِنَّمَا إِلَهُكُمُ اللَّهُ الَّذِي لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ وَسِعَ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ عِلْمًا Your God is Allah alone. There is no God but Him. He encompasses all things in His knowledge. كَذَلِكَ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ أَنْبَاءِ مَا قَدْ سَبَقُ In this way, we give you news, which we recount to you, Muhammad وسلم, of what has gone before, in respect of the story and other reports of past communities. وَقَدْ آتَيْنَاكَ مِنْ لَدُنَّا ذِكْرًا And we have given you a reminder, meaning the Qur'an, direct from us. مَنْ أَعْرَضَ عَنْهُ فَإِنَّهُ يَحْمِلُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وِزْرًا Those who turn away from it and do not believe in it will bear a heavy burden of sin on the day of rising. خَالِدِينَ فِيهِ وَسَاءَ لَهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ حِمْلًا Remaining in it, meaning in the punishment, on account of the burden, timelessly forever. What an evil law they will bear on the day of rising. يَوْمَ يُنْفَخُ فِي الصُّورِ On the day the second blast of the trumpet is blown. وَنَحْشُرُ الْمُجْرِمِينَ يَوْمَئِذٍ زُرْقًا And we gather the evildoers, meaning the unbelievers, sightless. The word used here, zurq, which normally means blue, comes to mean blind, because the eyes turn bluish when blind from cataracts on that day. يَتَخَافَتُونَ بَيْنَهُمْ إِلَّا بِثْتُمْ إِلَّا عَشْرًا they will whisper secretly to one another. You only stayed in this world for ten days and nights. نَحْنُ أَعْلَمُ بِمَا يَقُولُونَ إِذْ يَقُولُ أَمْثَلُهُمْ طَرِيقَةً إِلَّا بِثْتُمْ إِلَّا يَوْمًا We know best what they will say about that. But the truth is different from what they say. When the most correct of them will say, you only stayed one day. This statement is the most correct because it reflects the shortness of their time in this world once they see the next world with all its terrors. In these verses, Allah is saying that when the people of will be resurrected on Yawm Al-Qiyamah they will reflect upon their lifetime in this world and say that it is only like 10 days and 10 days is nothing in the lifespan of this world this Ramadan we are already halfway through and that is how quickly time passes and that is how fleeting their remainder on, or their time upon this earth will seem to them when compared to the longevity of the next life and the eternity of Yawm Al-Qiyamah and that is because they will think that it is something which is nothing in comparison and then Allah says, but even 10 days is too much in that estimation. But rather the best of them are those, meaning the most just of them in estimating, are those who say actually it was only like a day. That is how quick the time has gone. They will ask you about the mountains and how they will be on the day of rising. Say to them, my Lord will scatter them as dust, like sand blown by the wind. He will leave them as a barren level plain. On which you will see no dip or gradient. It will be spread out flat. On 
on that day, meaning the last day when the mountains become dust, they, meaning all people, will follow the summoner after they rise from the graves to the gathering led by his voice. This refers to Islafil who will say, come to the presentation of the all-merciful who has no crookiness in him at all to his followers, meaning that they will not be able to not follow him. Voices will be humbled and silent before the All-Merciful and nothing but a whisper will be heard. The only thing which will be heard will be the sound of feet as they come to the gathering, sounding like the tramp of camels when they walk. On that day, intercession will not be of any use except for him whom the All-Merciful has authorized to intercede and with whose speech he is well pleased. The speech with which he is pleased is the formula, there is no God but Allah. He knows what is in front of them, meaning of the business of the next world, and behind them, meaning of this world. But their knowledge does not encompass him. They do not know what he is like. Faces will be humble to Allah, the living, the all-sustaining. And anyone weighed down with wrongdoing, meaning committing shirk, will have failed. But anyone who does right actions, meaning acts of obedience, being a believer, need fear no, no wrong, through his evil deeds being exaggerated, or any belittlement, through his good actions being made less. In this way, as we have recounted this to you, we have sent it down as an Arabic Qur'an and we have made and repeated various threats in it so that perhaps they may be God-fearing and fear committing shirk or it, meaning the Qur'an, may spurn them into remembrance of the destruction of those nations before them and they will learn from that. فَتَعَالَ اللَّهُ الْمَلِكُ High exalted be Allah, the King, the real, above what the idolaters say. Do not rush ahead with the Quran and recite it before its revelation to you is complete, meaning before Jibreel finishes conveying it. And say, My Lord, increase me in knowledge through the Quran. In verse 114, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands the Prophet not to rush with the Quran. And this will be mentioned in greater detail in Surah Al-Qiyamah. And that is because the Prophet ﷺ at the beginning when he would receive revelation, he would repeat it in a very quick way, out of fear that he would forget it. So Allah said to him, there is no need to rush, we will make you memorize it. You will retain it and you will memorize it. And then the Prophet ﷺ stopped rushing. And Allah says at the end of this verse, وَقُلْ رَبِّ زِدْنِي عِلْمًا And say, my Lord, increase me in knowledge. And this is the only thing that Allah commanded the Prophet ﷺ to seek an increase for. There are many du'as that are mentioned in the Qur'an. But the only du'a in which, or the only thing that Allah commanded the Prophet ﷺ to seek more of was knowledge. And though this, this is therefore from the virtues of knowledge. And this statement, that is the only thing that he was asked to seek an increase for, is a statement well known amongst the scholars of the Salaf from them, Sufyan ibn Uyina rahimahullah ta'ala. Whenever some of it was sent down to him, it increased his knowledge of it. We made a contract with Adam before, ordering him not to eat from the tree before he did eat from it. But he forgot and abandoned our contract with him. We did not find that he had a firm resolve and the necessary steadfastness to avoid what we had forbidden him. 
وإذ قلنا للملائكة اسجدوا لآدم فسجدوا إلا إبليس أبا Remember when we said to the angels prostrate yourselves to Adam they prostrated with the exception of Iblis the forefather of the jinn he used to keep the company of the angels and worshiped Allah with them who disdained to do it meaning to prostrate to Adam and said I am better than him فقلنا يا آدم إن هذا عدو لك ولزوجك فلا يخرجنكما من الجنة فتشقى We said, Adam, this is an enemy to you and your wife, Hawa. So, do not let him expel you from the garden and thus make you miserable. Meaning, cause you to become tired by cultivation, harvesting, milling and making bread and the like. Adam's misery alone is mentioned because naming the man automatically includes his wife. إِنَّ لَكَ أَلَّا تَجُوعَ فِيهَا وَلَا تَعْرَى You will not go hungry in it or suffer from nakedness. وَأَنَّكَ لَا تَضْمَأُ فِيهَا وَلَا تَضْحَى You, read as أَنَّكَ and إِنَّكَ will not go thirsty in it or burn in the sun. This means that in the garden he did not suffer from the heat of the morning sun, not that there is no sunlight in the garden. فَوَسْوَسَ إِلَيْهِ الشَّيْطَانُ قَالَ يَا آدَمُ هَلْ أَدُلُّكَ عَلَى شَجَرَةِ الْخُلْدِ وَمُلْكٍ لَا يَبْلَى But shaytan whispered to him, saying, Adam, Shall I show you the way to the tree of everlasting life, a tree such that if someone eats from it, he will become immortal, and to a kingdom which will never fade away, but will last forever. So the two of them, meaning Adam and Hawa, ate from it, and their private parts were disclosed to them. Each of them noticed the private parts of the other, and they are called private parts, sawa'a, because their disclosure is bad, So for a person. وَطَفِقَا يَخْصِفَانِ عَلَيْهِمَا مِنْ وَرَقِ الْجَنَّةِ And they started stitching together the leaves of the garden to cover themselves. وَعَصَى آدَمُ رَبَّهُ فَغَوَى Adam disobeyed his Lord when he ate from the tree and became misled. ثُمَّ جَتَبَاهُ رَبُّهُ فَتَابَ عَلَيْهِ وَهَدَى But then his Lord chose him, meaning brought him near and turned to him before his repentance and guided him to be constant in repentance. قَالَهْ بِطَى مِنْهَا جَمِيعًا بَعْضُكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ عَدُوٍ He, meaning Allah, said to Adam and Hawa, and that includes all of their offspring, go down from it, meaning the garden, all of you, as enemies to one another. Their offspring would become enemies to one another by wronging one another. فَإِمَّا يَأْتِيَنَّكُمْ مِنِّي هُدًا فَمَنِ اتَّبَعَ هُدَايَ فَلَا يَضِلُّ وَلَا يَشْقَى but when guidance, meaning the Qur'an, comes to you from me, all those who follow my guidance will not go astray in this world, and will not be miserable in the next world. But if anyone turns away from my reminder, meaning the Qur'an, and does not believe in it, his life will be a dark and narrow, meaning constricted one. And a hadith explains this as referring to the punishment of the unbeliever in his grave. And on the day of rising, we will gather him, meaning the one who turns away from the Qur'an, blind. He will say, My Lord, why have you gathered me blind when before I was able to see, meaning in the world and at, that resur- at the resurrection? He will say, What else could you expect? Just as our signs came to you and you forgot them, rejected them and did not believe in them, in the same way as you ignored our signs, you too are forgotten today in the fire. And we mentioned this before yesterday in the clarification in the question, that what he means that Allah Azza wa will forget them 
is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will choose to ignore them and they will receive no mercy or blessing from him subhanahu wa ta'ala. The meaning isn't that Allah is forgetful as Allah mentioned at the beginning of this surah وَمَا كَانَ رَبُّكَ نَسِيَّ Your Lord is not forgetful. وَكَذَانِكَ نَجَزِي مَنْ أَسْرَفَ وَلَمْ يُؤْمِنْ بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِ As we repay those who turn away from the Qur'an, that is how we also repay anyone who is profligate by committing shirk and does not believe in the signs of his Lord. And punishment in the next world is much harsher and longer lasting than punishment in this world and punishment in the grave. أَفَلَمْ يَهْدِ لَهُمْ كَمْ أَهْلَكْنَا قَبْلَهُمْ مِنَ الْقُرُونِ يَمْشُونَ فِي مَسَاكِنِهِمْ Are they, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca, not guided? Meaning, has it not been made clear to them by the many generations we have destroyed before them because of their denial of the messengers, among whose dwelling places they walk about when they travel to Syria and elsewhere, so that they reflect? إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِأُولِنُّهَا There are signs and lessons in that for people of sound intellect. وَلَوْلَا كَلِمَةٌ سَبَقَتْ مِنْ رَبِّكَ لَكَانَ لِزَامًا وَأَجَلٌ مُسَمَّا And were it not for a prior word from your Lord of postponement of punishment for them until the next world and a specified term, it, meaning their destruction, would inevitably have already taken place in this world. فَاصْبِرْ عَلَى مَا يَقُولُونَ وَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ قَبَلَ طُلُوعِ الشَّمْسِ وَقَبَلَ غُرُوبِهَا so be steadfast in the face of what they say. But this was abrogated by the ayah of fighting. And pray and glorify your Lord with praise before the rising of the sun in, in the Subh prayer and before its setting in the Asr prayer. وَمِنْ آنَاءِ اللَّيْلِ فَسَبِّحْ وَأَطَرَافَ النَّهَارِ لَعَلَّكَ تَرْضَى And glorify him during part, of the night, during part of the night in the prayers of Maghrib and Insha and at both ends of the day in the Dhuhr prayer which divides the day into two so that perhaps you may be pleased, meaning rewarded. The author Ta'ala in verse 130 says the beginning part This was abrogated by the ayah of fighting We already mentioned this before that the authors seem to take the position of abrogation in many of these verses and other verses, don't, other scholars rather don't mention that these verses are abrogated but that it means that you can still show patience towards people when they speak to you in a evil way and then Allah Azza mentions these prayers and as the scholars usually do, is that they use them to mention all five prayers. But in particular, it speaks about the Fajr and the Asr prayer. And in the hadith of Jalil radiallahu anhu, when the Prophet was speaking about how the believers will be able to see their Lord on Yawm al-Qiyamah, just as we can see the full moon on a cloudless night, the Prophet in one of those narrations said, so if you wish to do so, then pray before the sun rises and before it sets, meaning the Fajr prayer and the Asr prayer. And that is from the added virtues of those salahs. Yeah. And in the hadith in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet said that the fire will not touch the one who offers the Fajr and Asr prayer. وَلَا تَمُدَّنَّ عَيْنَيْكَ إِلَى مَا مَتَّعْنَا بِهِ أَزْوَاجًا مِّنْهُمْ زَهْرَةَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا لِنَفْتِنَهُمْ فِيهِ Do not direct your eyes longingly to what we have given certain of them. The word azwaj, literally pairs, here means different categories to enjoy the flower and adornment of the life of this world, so that we may test them by it, to see whether they will transgress. Your Lord's provision in paradise is better and longer lasting than what they receive in this world. Instruct your family to prayer and be constant. 
meaning steadfast in it. We do not ask you for provision, either for yourself or for anyone else. We provide for you. And the best end result, meaning the garden, is gained by fearfulness of Allah. They, meaning the idolaters, say, if only he, meaning Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, would bring us a sign from his Lord, as we demand. Have they not received, read as, تأتيهم, and يأتيهم, the clear sign of what is written in the earlier text. The Quran contains reports of past nations and their destruction on account of their denial of their messengers. وَلَوْ أَنَّا أَهْلَكْنَاهُمْ بِعَذَابٍ مِّنْ قَبْلِهِ لَقَالُوا رَبَّنَا لَوْلَا أَرْسَلْتَ إِلَيْنَا رَسُولًا فَنَتَّبِعَ آيَاتِكَ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنَّذِلَّ وَنَخْزَى If we had destroyed them with a punishment before this, meaning before Muhammad وسلم, came as a messenger, they would have said on the day of rising, Our Lord, why did you not send us a messenger so we could follow your signs before we were humbled at the resurrection and disgraced in hellfire? Say to them, everyone, we and you, is waiting expectantly for the final outcome. So wait expectantly. You will soon know at the resurrection who are the companions of the right, meaning straight path, and who is guided away from misguidance, us or you. And as you can see, this is a, an amazing surah, not only because of the the shortness and the, and, the, and the poetic nature of its verses, but because many of its verses are very clear and, and need very little commentary. And that is from the beauty of this surah of Taha. And with that, we come to the end of today's sitting, as well as the end of the tafsir of surah Taha. And we ask Allah Azza wa Jal that He makes us from those people who, when we hear the reminder of the Quran, we benefit from it and we apply it into action. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.